Oh my god. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Artifact number 22. Today, I'm joined by Jessica Schneider and Ezekiel Yu. They are both writers and critics. Jessica is a novelist and a poet. Zeke is a cultural critic. They both write for the website that I run, automachination.com. So you could check that out. In fact, you do have to check it out this time around because the subject that we're covering today is uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning's uh, book-length poem, Aurora Lee. Uh, this was published in 1856, and they actually wrote two essays on it, right? Jessica wrote one, Zeke wrote one. So as soon as you're uh, listening to this, if you're on audio, if you're listening to this on, on video, um, it's available on the website right now. So you guys could check that out immediately, or you could do it after the fact, whatever you want. So um, let's just, uh, uh, I guess, start with uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning, uh, 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 who she was, what she did. Um, I, I've often just, you know, I, 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 for a long time, I've been very interested in, in this book because it touches on a number of topics that are interesting to me. Like, so for example, anybody that follows my work knows that I'm very interested in politics. And I have this kind of, you know, almost this, this competition, as it were, between my political leanings and my artistic leanings, right? I, I don't allow the politics to consume the artistic side of me, right? In the sense that uh, I'm never going to support, right, a, a work of art or say it's a great work of art simply because I agree with its politics. And Elizabeth Barrett Browning in this, in this book, she touches on a lot of these themes, right? This kind of competition between what society wants, perhaps some of the demands on things like, you know, uh, if you want to go into charity, that kind of thing. And also what, you know, what, what art demands, right? And in her own life, she actually did have very strong political beliefs. I believe uh, some of the stuff that she wrote about, you know, Italy's unification, there was like some guy that was reading her essays in the 1800s and was like, Browning is just a complete, you know, radical freak. It's unbelievable that someone could write some of this kind of stuff. And yet, it didn't really infect, right, her writing, right, um, uh, in the way that you would normally expect today, right? People that have certain political leanings for their writing to be kind of, you know, um, you know, malformed, as it were, by, uh, by, you know, by their political leanings. So personally, I, I find that interesting. Maybe we could just sort of go around and see um, uh, what you guys have have taken out of this book, and then sort of dive into it. Okay, should I go first? Yeah, whatever. Um, so this was my, actually my first time reading, uh, Aurora Lee. I'd been recommended for, uh, many years and I knew it was a novel in verse and it's quite, um, um, an immense achievement. But one of the things that you touched upon, Alex said about her, um, the, the separation of art from politics or any kind of ism is, you know, she has this line. And I quote that in my review. Um, it's uh, from the first book. She says, um, good aims not always make good books. So right there, you can have, you know, good uh, political beliefs or um, a message, but doesn't necessarily mean that the craft is going to be able to carry it through. And um, she seemed to recognize this. This seems in that sense, this a lot of people speak about how it's the feminism and that that what's what um, made it ahead of its time, but it's really uh, kind of like noticing this 
um, maybe makes it more is what makes it ahead of its time. Because now nowadays, I mean, it's hard to really say it's sort of like become fallen by the wayside, I would say craft. I mean, it's much more, it's much easier to sort of look at something for the subject matter or the, the political intent. And then from there define it, whereas craft is much more nuanced. And um, she definitely has uh, a great craft to, to her work in, and we'll be uh, discussing that. So um, this was my first time reading it. Now we have three Americans um, giving our insight into this very well-known uh, British poet. Yeah, uh, Zeke and I actually, so this is my uh, third time reading it. Um, and I just casually me mentioned this to Zeke and he mentioned a few months ago, he had he had uh, read the book for the first time. And I asked him, hey, do you want to like do an essay and um, uh, do the show with us at the end of the year? Right. So he recently uh, reread that as well. So um, mm -hmm. what are your impressions? Uh, you know, either what, what we have said or any anything new that you want to uh, say about this? Yeah, I um, I had first heard about, well, I'd known about Elizabeth Barrett Browning for a while because I think any reader or serious reader is familiar with her name and I knew she was a poet and she did Sonnets from the Portuguese, but I wasn't familiar with Aurora Lee until I think either you or Dan had mentioned it as um, and, and recommended it as a, as a quality work. And so because of that, I, I picked it up and I read it only having read like some of the sonnets from the Portuguese and then maybe like in my edition, it has some of our other works. And so I skimmed through that before reading uh, the verse novel and I read it and I was, and I, I think it's, it's worth the, the, the hype. It's, it's a, it's a really great book and everything that you guys mentioned, I agree with. And I think in particular, you wanted me to talk about some of the religious themes that she uh, deals with and coming from a religious background. And maybe not just religion, like I thought that a lot of the dichotomies she tries to reconcile that she presents and tries to reconcile like like life and art or like love and art and mm -hmm. religion and, and art or a lot of it has to do with art, but um, because she's a working artist and but yeah, I, I, I've never read a verse novel either. So it was kind of an adjustment to have to get used to the actual process of reading it. Um, I've read like long poems before, but this particular genre was kind of new to me. So, but it was still fresh and uh, like a lot of the metaphors and language was a little difficult for me to first understand, but still really fresh, really eloquent. And yeah, yeah, I thought it was excellent. Yeah, I, I just want to touch on, um, you know, this idea of, uh, you know, long poem, novel and verse, uh, maybe Milton, Milton's uh, Paradise Lost, you know, isn't the same thing in the sense of, you know, it's not really a novel, but, um, you know, just kind of like to make a comparison, I, I recently reread the introduction to uh, Milton's Paradise Lost. And so both of these are written in blank verse, right? And his, his introductory stanza is just so forgettable. I, I literally don't even remember a single line from it now. And all mm. of us, like as we were, uh, as you guys were working on this essay, um, and as I was uh, doing my notes, uh, we, you know, all three of us decided to highlight the introductory stanza in Aurora uh, Lee because I mean it's just so rich, right? It, it's a sort of thing where uh, I, I'm not sure if if you guys feel the same way, but when you start reading like a great Wallace Stevens poem, um, especially some of his like blank verse poems, although I guess it's not strictly mm -hmm. strictly blank verse, you sort of 
could tell, you know, sometimes from the first stanza, like Sunday morning, for example, mm-hmm. um, uh, that it's going to be a great poem. And I felt the same way uh, about this introductory stanza in Aurora Lee. So this is how she starts uh, the book. Of writing many books, there is no end. And I, who have written much in prose and verse for others' uses, will write now for mine, will write my story for my better self, as when you paint your portrait for a friend who keeps it in a drawer and looks at it long after he has ceased to love you, just to hold together what he was and is. Um, And I mean, don't take my word for it. Just anybody listening to this now, just pull up Milton's Paradise Lost read the introductory stanza and tell me why, you know, Milton is kind of like this household name for a lot of people, whereas Aurora mm-hmm. Lee at this point is, you know, more or less unknown, right? I, just out of curiosity, I, I did a, a quote Google search for the term Aurora Lee, and there's only like 250,000 hits, right? Across the entire in, in, internet, someone has only used that phrase about that many times, right? Which is just incredible to me. Um, and maybe we could also dissect uh, the stanza a little bit and and talk about why, uh, uh, you know, why, why, so Jessica, why, why did you highlight this as, as one of your passages to talk about? Well, let's see that, yeah, like you said, the introduction, it's, um, it's very, very strong because we get this idea, we get it's a story, but then it's a story within a story. So you have Barrett Browning and then you have Aurora Lee as the stand-in for Barrett Browning in, in the novel. So in, in some ways, even though it's it's a fiction, we, we're not going to say it's autobiography, but it's, it's, it's got some autobiographical elements to her. And um, she, right there, the fact that it opens with, it's about art first. It's not about romance. It's not about, you know, I'm the woman or this or that. It's about the artist and uh, it, it, all that is that all that is superfluous because that's that's what ultimately matters first. That that um, and then she says, uh, write my story for my better self, um, creating the idea of creating art, creating something higher, something to represent you. That's that's a, 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 a craft driven something to represent you a higher form of yourself. Um, and you paint your portrait for a friend. Like, so now she, she obviously, you know, as we go through the book, she wants to, she wants to become known and she wants to share it. Um, but this is in the beginning. She's sort of uh, questioning that. Um, but anyway, as the first book, the first book is actually is quite strong. I mean, I mean, it's just a really great beginning. And then going back to about what I said, good aims, not always make good books. You know, she, she speaks about, I read books, bad and good, and she's not afraid to call this out. You know, this is Mm -hmm. back in, you know, Victorian era and, you know, you know, women having opinions and things like that. But she, as an artist, isn't afraid to call this out. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because even in this first line, right, of writing many books, there is no end. Um, when I reread this uh, most recently, like, so Joel and I last year, we did a show on the biblical book uh, Ecclesiastes, and there's mm-hmm. a line in there that is, 
of um, mm. I think it's like a, a, of reading many books, there is no end. Uh, I forgot, I, I forget exactly that's line, but here, you know, we have this transition to this idea of writing, and I mean, that's kind of novel in and of itself, right? In the sense that uh, if, if you want to view this from a feminist lens, right, we are talking about a, a woman creating something, right? Um, uh, I have written, you know, so much for others' uses. Now mm -hmm. I'm going to do this for myself. Right. I'm not mm -hmm. going to you know, be a woman serving other people, other people's needs, other people's uses. I need to do what I need to do. Um, mm -hmm. and, and also this kind of like odd uh, tension, you know, near the end where it's kind of, you know, um, it, it's a little bit self-deprecating. Right. Um, uh, people have uh, perhaps like ceased to love me or maybe I'm not, you know, constantly throughout uh, the text. Aurora Lee is trying to write this masterwork. And, you know, interestingly enough, we, we don't ever actually read it right we don't get to see right. it we have we have the aurora lee novel written by browning but we don't have the manuscript that she's writing actually the character within the text all we mm -hmm. get is kind of secondhand information where um other people are relating and say hey you know this is uh finally you've done something good but we are taking other men's words for it right and mm -hmm. um you know that that is also a very kind of interesting dynamic right um, mm -hmm. so, uh, so, so, sorry for talking so much, Zika, you want to say anything about the opening? Yeah, a couple things. Um, I think what, first, what I found really <laughs> cool about the stanza was that how I wrote this in my essay, but how much it seems to compress, like so much of the books, uh, like themes on, on, on memory and love and, and loss of love into just these eight lines. And, and also like for all the talk about it's, um, like the feminism of the book, apart from the title, like you wouldn't know necessarily the, the gender of the speaker from this opening. It's just mm -hmm. someone who writes books. Uh, this is, a, you know, this is telling the story of a writer who's, um, you know, attempting to do something great. Mm -hmm. And for the, the biblical reference for the, the Ecclesiastes, I remember, and we can talk about this later, but I remember, Alex, you making a, a, a note about the, um, there's a kind of deist uh, lens or, or a deist approach in terms of religion but for me i think there's just so much there's so much biblical reference and mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and christian reference and, and christian mythology and that it mm -hmm. seems to me not, like there is a character who who is, seems like kind of a deist in the book but it seems like this is uh very much a, a judeo-christian and um and not not a deist like or i, I don't know how to yeah. It's not a yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah anyway. when Joel and I were doing the sonnets from the Portuguese, which is a sonnet sequence that um uh, uh Browning uh wrote prior to this book, uh I assumed that she was a deist, but yeah, it turns out that she is in fact a Christian. But you know, interestingly, although yes, she she does have Christian mythology and also especially uh you know, a lot of uh, old testament material. Um, like phrases like Jesus Christ uh, appear like only like two or three times. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's much mm -hmm. more so kind of like this, uh, you know, like this overall idea of like the Lord. Right. You know, but you know, yeah. Jew, Jews might more or less say the, say the same thing. Right. So I, I agree that it's Christian, but she she kind of, you know, she kind of defaults to kind of you know, the Bible in general, you know, maybe a little bit more mm -hmm. of a, um, Old Testament and, and more than mythology rather than, you know, uh, direct references to what we would think as a, 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 of, you know, Christian theology and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But but yes, that, that's and also I, true. And I think at one point, <clears throat> I think Romney even, and I referenced this, I, I believe I referenced this in my essay, Romney makes a, 
a reference to the fact that Christ had to be a man or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. yeah if I, if I, 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 I Christ, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so Jessica mentioned that the first book is very strong. First book is probably, so there's nine books, right. In this text, first book is probably my, my favorite overall. Um, because I mean, there are about 1200 lines, each book, the last one is mm-hmm. about like 950 or so, but she compresses so much in these 1200 lines, right. We have this, mm-hmm. you know, a great opening stanza, we have uh, her history as a child. We have um, uh, the fact that her mother dies when she's an adolescent and uh, uh, the way that uh, that affects her psychologically and how that works upon her memory. Um, yeah. uh, we have her kind of like intellectual upbringing afterwards. We have her father's death. We have her being sort of uh, sent off to her aunt and the kind of conflicts that this creates mm-hmm. and how she, you know, essentially becomes also, you know, a, a Jane Eyre type of. Of, uh, misfit, right? She wants to read mm-hmm. books. She wants to uh, do art. She she doesn't exactly know exact. She doesn't know exactly where she's going to fit into that kind of world, but mm-hmm. uh, she knows she wants to be part of the art world. And we get all of that in just twelve hundred lines. So just just even in terms of like the pure economy of narrative, right? This is a uh, one of the strongest um, uh, books in mm-hmm. the text. Um, I'm not sure mm-hmm. if you guys have anything you want to say about the first book. Um, I I got passages later that we could get to. Yeah, um, well, it sets it up too. Like you said, the first book is about uh, right from the beginning. She's an outcast. She doesn't feel she belongs. She's born in Italy. She's sent to England, and she the descriptions about England are quite amusing. That you know, she you know basically she thinks it's I think too genteel or or you know doesn't have all the hills and there, that there's a missing romance to it and so she has this dark hair and I think she compares it to like birds having birds in it and I and I know there's another when I mentioned a story within a story within a story Marion the, the other character that we see later is based on uh, Bear Browning's likeness as well so you have multiple ways of where. Um, uh, you have these sort of outcasts and, and right from the beginning, yeah, she doesn't really fit in. She doesn't really connect very well with her, her father's sister. She's lost her mother. So she's, she feels alone and she has to seek inward for some kind of comfort. And she, you know, she looks to, looks to art, which is a lot of what artistic people do in that sense. She has very much the artistic personality as we, we would know today. Mm-hmm. They, the romantic yeah. <laughs> right uh like pretty much like it, part a, a little bit of book two as well but like pretty much everything you need to know about aurora like at her fundamental level is is dealt with in book one like because books one through four are kind of her artistic maturation and she's sort of writing like from a distance and it's very retrospective that's mm-hmm. why this is kind of this is mood um that's very um, nostalgic. Um, that's not yes. so much present in the later books, like after book five. And I agree about book right. one. And I, I used to think that I thought book five was actually the best. Because to me, there was something about it being right in the middle and there's so much philosophizing. Mm-hmm. But a lot of mm. really important character work happens in book one. And, and like I said, like everything you need to know about Aurora is, is, is told to you and like her... her uh, her thoughts on womanhood and, and her yes. relationship to men and her 
basically her views on art, but it's really um, like the individualism that her father instilled mm-hmm. in her that mm-hmm. informs her, her thoughts on art. Uh, that's all in book one. And again, like in 1200 mm-hmm. lines, it's and in beautiful language. Yeah, well, you make a good point about the fifth book. Yes, the fifth book does a lot of philosophy and about art. And there's a, the, probably the most talk about what art is, what longing is, yeah. the longing um, uh, to prove oneself. Yes. It, mm-hmm. is a lot of very much establishing kind of her identity in this, in this, um, you know, this is who I am. And, and, and the book does, I mean, she does throughout the poem, you do have elements where she she's addressing the fact that I wrote this poem it wasn't very good and she admits that but we never I don't believe we ever see any examples of -hmm. it but um, she's acknowledging that she's like oh I'm just not quite getting it it's not quite there so she has this realization and makes me wonder like these other you know writers who are are not as as you know are inferior writers do they have this question do you sit there and write this and you really think you hit the gold mine every single time or do you sit there knowing oh, it's just missing something and she did right um in 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 book 1 there's this uh interesting passage uh, starting at uh, page uh, rather line 174 where basically you know she, she's she's going on about this um uh, painting done of her mother right um and uh, growing up without a mother, she's, you know, she's kind of like, in a sense, controlled by this painting. Everything that she learns, everything that she sees, you know, feels, detects, um, she starts mixing up, right, with this image of her mother, right? She says, like, mm-hmm. everything that was, like, ghastly or grotesque or beautiful, right? Everything uh, sort of came into this picture for her. And um, th- this is the way that this gets characterized. And while I stared away, my childish wits upon my mother's picture, ah, poor child, my father, who through love had suddenly thrown off the old conventions, broken loose from chin bands of the soul like Lazarus, it had no time to learn to talk and walk or grow anew familiar with the son, who had reached to freedom, not to action, lived, but lived as one entranced with thoughts, not aims whom love had unmade from a common man, but not completed to an uncommon man. My father taught me what he had learned the best before he died and left me, grief and love. And seeing we had books Mm. among the hills, strong words of counseling souls confederate with vocal pines and waters, out of books he taught me all the ignorance of men. Right, that's such mm-hmm. a beautiful, you know, idea. Yeah, out, of, yeah. out of books, he taught me all the ignorance of men, and how God laughs in heaven when any man says, "Here I'm learned, this I understand, and that I am never caught at fault or doubt." He sent the schools to school, demonstrating a fool will pass for such through one mistake. Well, well, a philosopher will pass for such through said mistakes being ventured into gross and heaped up to a system. I am like, they tell me, my dear father, broader brows, how be it upon a slenderer undergrowth of delicate features, paler, near as grave. But then my mother's smile breaks up the whole and makes it better sometimes than itself. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's so wonderful because, you know, prior to this, she's talking and talking about her mother. Now she's talking about her father. And mm-hmm. just when you think that she has forgotten, you know, what the passage was, was like really about her mother's image comes back in and mm-hmm. in the most kind of like, you know, how can you compliment your mother in the most maximal way? And the way that mm-hmm. she says is my mother's smile breaks up the whole 
and makes it better sometimes than itself, right? Mm-hmm. Everything being combined that way. I've always mm-hmm. uh, thought that was a very wonderful part of the book. Yeah, she definitely I kind of idealizes her parents very much like yeah. you know those examples you give, but then like it's interesting when you have her her when she meets her father's sister and and she basically talks about um the, her aunt's loaded questions about making her ordinary. Um, she compares her. She says, "She, I know I have uh, not ground you down enough to flatten and bake you to a wholesome crust. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she, she, uh, again, this is all interpreted through Aurora's lens, but she doesn't feel that connection with, um, with her aunt. It, it, it causes her that, that separation. And so it's almost, you know, the mother is sort of in her back, in the background, it's it, she's this, you know, um, wonderful, you know, someone she looks to for comfort. And then again, her father, she looks at her father, showed her these books. And um, it, there's just, as, as you were just reading it, I mean, really, it's, it's really not hard to follow. I mean, it's really yeah. rather easy to understand, especially once you get the sense of the story, because this isn't a particularly complex story in the sense of narrative plot i mean it's it's a lot of um similar tropes that we've seen but the difference is how she says it the Mm. way she uses words that's what makes that's what differentiates you know writing or poetry or any art is is the how Mm -hmm. yeah exactly um yeah i mean she definitely i mean that's that's sort of her issue the it's this like sort of obsession with the ideal um, mm-hmm. that haunts her and really plagues her and, and really affects her relationships with Romney and, and Marion, especially, especially, uh, mm-hmm. when, mm-hmm. when Marion, when she meets Marion again. Um, but also I found it interesting, like I was reading, there's this really nice Victorian literature resource that I was scouring through yesterday, sort of last minute. Um, and there was a, you know, talk about the, the text being a, a feminist text and, and in the book one, I think it's mentioned that she feels like a mother want about the world. She she was raised by a single father, and there really wasn't any woman around her aside from her maid Asunta. And she even says something like, "Like I was born to make my father sadder." And, and throughout the text, mm. her relationship with other women is is complicated, uh, perhaps because of this this childhood and and how and and how she's mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. complicated relationship with even just her image of her mother. Um, mm-hmm. And I think people would call it now, I think that the contemporary term is like internalized misogyny. Yeah. Um, mm. And how she has this sort of disgust at her own sex. Uh, and that's another dichotomy that I think she deals with. And it's born in, mm-hmm. in book one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and there's so much, I'm oh, sorry, just so much goes on on the inside. Like yeah. that's, the, that's the other thing. It's like this, this is really a book about the inside. Yeah. You know, what's going on on the outside is, you know, like, you know, this, it's not that convoluted, but on the inside, there's so much complexity. Mm. So that's what separates it there. Yeah. It, anyway, yeah, sorry, Alex. Yeah, I mean, in terms of these <laughs> feminist readings, right, I, I think one of the reasons why, um, you know, the book has sort of fallen out of favor is you know, this was uh, in many senses like revolutionary in the 1800s. And, you know, perhaps in many ways it still is, but there's this kind of a, argument as uh, Zeke sort of alluded to that, you know, women, uh, if you're a woman, even in the 1800s, women are not necessarily your natural allies. And especially mm. they're not your natural allies. If you are, you know, kind of, you know, a, a, a misfit, if you're interested in the arts, if you yeah. have like a, a richer internal life, 
right? Um, and you know, she has. That's not to say that men are necessarily naturally her allies either, because they're not, right? She from the very beginning, like um, book one introduces Romney, uh, and um, so Romney becomes, you know, her. Uh, well, he, he's not her love interest at first. They do eventually. It seems they, they get married, uh, but at, at the beginning, she's very kind of resistant to this idea, right? Mm-hmm. He, he asks mm-hmm. uh, to marry her. She says no, and uh, their first kind of interaction um, in, in book one is uh, basically he, he's like taking on this like fatherly chiding tone, yeah. around like very like, very line five and four, yeah. Yeah. Very condescending. And I mentioned that a lot in my review because I'm reading this and it's like, why would she want to be with you? You're such a sexist <laughs> dickhead. I mean, he really is annoying in the beginning. It's not she grows to love him because he eventually sort of morphs himself. He tries to be better. I think he sees mm-hmm. her. And he's like, I want to be a better man kind of thing. But in the beginning, he's just annoying twit. He's her cousin. And it's just like, she doesn't want you. Move on. <laughs> and, and, and just and just compare that dynamic to something like Jane Eyre, right? Where, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Jane Eyre from kind of like from the very beginning, like she starts to fall in love with Rochester, who is like, he's such a creep, right? And he keeps like manipulating people. And he, mm-hmm. he, he you know, he, he behaves in like, very odd ways and like what what exactly you know is your interest based on it seems like it's nothing more other than you know he's uh he's he's weird he's he's uh you know rich and and powerful like in, in this setting right and and older right and that struck me as a lot more kind of you know, uh, anti-feminist, although ironically, when I, you know, think of like professors that I had or, you know, people that I knew, they always like talk about like growing up reading Jane Eyre and like really like, um, you know, sort of uh, uh, seeing themselves in Jane, seeing themselves in this kind of dynamic, whereas uh, Aurora Lee is is much more, it's much more rebellious from the very beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Even before, yes. even, even before we get any kind of expression that Romney is interested in, in her romantically, their first interaction essentially is she's kind of like she she overhears someone saying that um, she might die because oh look you know she's this Italian child that's sickly in England mm. and her face kind of lights up because she 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 hates her life and Romney's mm. like very upset like you know really mm. you want to die right and, and you know it's, he's it's, so, he's such yeah. a buffoon he doesn't understand it's like I sit there and go he doesn't understand women he doesn't understand artistic women he doesn't understand poetry but he thinks he does and yeah. you just kind of you're reading it you want him to shut up. But going back briefly, what you said about Jane Eyre, I remember there's this great line in there, I don't remember, where um, Rochester, he's another egomaniac, and he asks uh, Jane, he says, do you find me handsome? And she goes, no, sir. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I thought that was was great. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, just uh, one of the reasons why I'm bringing Jane Eyre is, um, you know, just in in terms of comparing the two, uh, on a line by line basis, uh, a book like Jane Eyre has has nothing on Aurora Lee, right? There's there's few lines, there's some quotable lines, there's some, uh, I guess, parts that that are pretty good. But, you know, like just going line by line, a book like this is far richer, you know, beyond being, Mm -hmm. beyond the kind of like, you know, meta issues of like feminism and all this macro stuff that people prefer to talk about just craft wise you know, line by line, you, you get a lot more on top of, yeah. you know, something that a modern person ought to, you know, you, you ought to get more out of Aurora Lee, right? Uh, I think mm-hmm. now than something like Jane Eyre, right? Where Jane Eyre is, is much more dated and of its time. Um, uh, Aurora Lee is still so, so very modern when, when you read it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, just a word about Romney. I think, yeah, I mean, 
does not come off well in book one <laughs> or any of the other books. But I think, I mean, his very first words, I find that there's this sort of, um, it's kind of telling where he says, like, like what you were saying, Alex, she says, oh, I, she'll die. And then my cousin Romney Lee blushed too with sudden anger and approaching me, said low between his teeth, you're wicked now. You wish to die and leave the world at dusk for others with your naughty light blown out. I mean, mm-hmm. the naughty light, there's, there's something there like yeah. he's, yeah, as if he's attracted to it still. He's angered, yeah. but there's something yeah. about her that he's drawn to, and um, and of course they're both drawn to each other, but they hate each other. Uh, yeah, so, it, he, she yeah. at one point says, "She says you basically looking for a wife is like yes. a horse. A horse is, yeah. is no different yeah. than a horse." Yeah, yeah, and and and, 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 and if the <laughs> man is liberal, he might leave out some hay. Right? That was how the <laughs> that that's how the uh, phrase ends. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, the joke being on the fact that, you know, like Romney, right, he's this kind of, you know, he he uh, he wants to be very charitable, right? He wants to be a philanthropist. He wants to, like, essentially save mm-hmm. the world. But um, uh, to, to her, like a liberal man, like in that kind of, you know, marital dynamic, to yeah. you, like he, he's out saving the world. And to you, after treating you like a horse, he will leave out some hay. And that's his liberalism. And it's interesting because like you, you, you would have like the same kind of modern critiques that we would have of like, you know, contemporary liberalism, you know, mm-hmm. she, she's, she's making those same critiques, yep. right? It's not, yes, she you know, is. It's, it's, it's not, it's not the same exact political strain, but it, it's, it's very, very similar. Well, it's right. Like, it's the whole guilty white liberal thing. Exactly. It's like, Oh, Oh, the limousine liberal. Oh, poor them, poor them. But they don't want to really get their hands dirty. I'll, I'll, leave some hay out for you or something yeah. and it's like it's like uh that that, that always kind of uh, that always annoyed me because i always felt like people who do that are just really trying to show off what a good person they are because it's like well do you really care or are you just doing this for a facade you know yeah it says like like in that in that passage introducing him as early master of lee hall where of the nightmare sat upon his youth repressing all its seasonable delights and agonizing with a ghastly sense of universal hideous want and wrong to incriminate possession. So he like mm-hmm. he, 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 he has everything right, but he feels guilty about it because he sees everyone else. Yes. Sort of yeah. like, oh, everyone else is, is so is so wanting of what I have. And there's that self-loathing that operates there. Well, and then his whole like the later when we see him wanting to marry Marion and it's almost yeah. like he's doing it out of charity. Exactly. You know, it's like, oh, you're poor. I'll marry you. And, and it's just he's in he's got his whole he's just he's just a mess you know romney <laughs> is just like you're like come on and he's also but, the the very thing that her father would hate you know a man of systems. yes yeah, yeah. yes yes exactly so so uh, uh book one ends with her kind of um you know falling into the arts right she's reading and there's this like great description of like uh, you know she's sort of like leaving the house and she feels like people are hunting her right and they're hunting her not necessarily by like trying to do you know uh, bad things to her but they're trying to keep her away from this internal life that she's like slowly cultivating and there's also this other like interesting dynamic like even in terms of like the the, like the wider kind of like plot right um a lot of it reminded me of uh uh, that that a movie that that jessica uh, reviewed for uh automachination.com uh uh el sir right where Mm. We, we have this like idea of like the, the 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 south of spain being this you know place of like mystery right for the little girl right she hears these stories from her father and she's always attracted to it and um uh, uh britain has the same kind of uh uh 
you know, uh, idea uh, for her. But the irony is like when she gets into Britain, she's like, really, this is Britain. It's, you know, it's so stormy. It's so, it's so dark. It's so like unaccommodating. It's so, you know, you know, flat. Right. Um, So we have this kind of like, you know, El Sur thing going on in reverse. Right. Uh, uh, And, but, but this is her father's land, right? She characterizes this originally, this is my father's land. And And it's interesting about the English. She's saying, hearing other people speak her father's tongue. It was a strange experience for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And about the landscape, like she describes it, like there's like not a garden that isn't hedged in or um, like the natural world was constrained and very much the same way. I think she, she uh, critiqued the society of it being constrained by all these mores and rules that restrict individual freedom and, and passion and, and the landscape mirrors that. Mm-hmm. Almost mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah. So, so uh, getting into book two, uh, it starts with her already now 20 years old, right? So she, she's uh, looking back as a 27 year old um, and she's looking back at, at being 20. And uh, Jessica correctly pointed out that, you know, Romney, he, he's annoying. He clearly has many flaws uh, from the very beginning, but um Aurora Lee also has quite a few flaws that, you know, Jane Eyre doesn't really have flaws. Like you just sort of see her at the beginning, like being, you know, like beat up and, you know, being made fun of and being hurt, kind of like cruel and without any reason whatsoever. Whereas Aurora Lee has this, you know, she wants to be a poet. And as a 20 year old, uh, who's already started writing at that point, uh, she's, you know, she's sort of like going around the garden and she's trying to like find some kind of flowers or something to crown herself with, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and the way that she um, that talks about it is, uh, so she's like, all right, how, how can I crown myself? Like, uh, it's going to be in sport, not pride, to learn the feel of it before my brows be numb as Dante's own to all the tender pricking of such leaves, right? And when she's thinking of what leaves she could use to make this crown for herself, she decides to like reject the bay leaves, right? She doesn't. She doesn't want to be crowned a laurel. And you know, like it's interesting because like Browning herself, right? She was educated on you know Greek and Roman classics. If you were to read like a, a Greek Roman text, um, making a, a you know a, a laurel sort of a crown for yourself would be considered hubris, right? This would take you know the you know, sort of you know like the vengeance of the gods if you do something like that. So mm-hmm, she's like, mm-hmm. you know what? I, I I'm not going to uh, use bay leaves. I'm going to. I think she she settles on ivy, right? But still, it's okay. like this kind of like you know a funny little image where she's sort of going around the garden. She wants to be a poet. We don't have any evidence of her re- really writing anything or doing anything worthwhile mm-hmm. just yet. But she still wants to know what it feels yep. like. And ultimately, she's discovered by Romney, and she, you know, she turns red. She's she's blushing, um, and, and this is the opportunity that he uses to, after like you know, essentially calling her silly. Uh, mm-hmm. at, you know, this is the opportunity that he uses to then propose marriage, right? Yeah. Um, Right. It's so, like you just insulted her and now you're yeah, gonna like yeah. I mean it's ridiculous. Yeah, there's a lot of like subtle comedy going on that you know, um like if you like because it's a poem, you might not really get right away, but just structurally when you think about how things are you know put together, right? There's a lot of like you know uh yeah. impl- implied humor throughout. Um yeah, see, I made my note, I wrote here dick, because it's showing <laughs> him being a dick, and, and I'm like, you know, I'm just gonna and what he says. You write well and ill upon the whole as other women. 
you know, you, you write just as well or as poorly as a woman would. Yeah. And it's just like, he, he just keep continues to like, he, he's doing this sort of patronizing backhanded compliment thing. And, uh, you know, mm. it's just like, uh, get out of here. Yeah. His idea of sweet talking. Um, <laughs> uh, I will say about like with the laurels and, and crowning herself, um, and we'll probably talk about it more, but like, I think, I think that's another one of the reasons why I chafe against the deist interpretation, because not only is there so many mm. Judeo-Christian references and also the, uh. the Redeemer shows up constantly, but also mm. like there's a pagan, there's an almost pagan adoration mm -hmm. of like the natural world and yeah. constant references to classical mythology. Um, that um, That's why, but anyway. I, yeah, I found that passage I mentioned in, in, in the second book um, about Christ. He, Romney, again, is pontificating, um, right. uncomprehended by you, must remain unflinched by you. Women as you are, mere women, personal and passionate. You give us doting mothers and perfect wives, sublime Madonnas and enduring saints. We get no Christ from you, and verily we shall not get a poet in my mind. Sure. So he's he's ranking, you know, Christ and poetry up there with Christ. I mean, because poetry back then was uh, highly respected. Um, mm. But even though you still, as we see, she struggles to make money. She uh, has to write like cheesy kind of copy to pay the bills. And it was interesting. I just watched um, Alex, a film I just watched that I'm going to review um, was Jane Campion's Bright Star mm. on, um, on, the, um, on Keats. And Keats, it's about his love interest with uh, Fanny Howe and um, he, Fanny Brom rather, right. um, what did I get that name? Anyway, Keats, uh, they didn't, yeah, they didn't like that. He didn't, you know, he didn't, he always felt, he felt bad that he didn't have a means to make a living. So even though he was a poet and respected, it's like, don't you want to go into medicine instead? And, and it's still the same kind of pressures back then. So yeah, right. um, it's just interesting to see that. Yeah. yeah. And also, um, woman can't produce a Christ. There's also the Moses and Miriam thing that he mm. plays with. Like you can't get a Moses out. Basically, like women can be good poets, but we all know that the best are is produced in men. And so, why even try? Uh, mm -hmm. Leave leave the leave those who are capable of the the highest accomplishment. Mm -hmm. uh, and already, she's got thing. so much to fight against. He yes. puts so much yeah. ahead of her to fight against. And so, a lot of her reactions. If you want, you wonder if he was just more supportive. If people were just more supportive, maybe she wouldn't feel the need to constantly fight back in her yeah. in her own internal dialogue it's more it's a more of a defensive stance that she's taking because sure. others are coming at her well you can't do this and you can't do that and, you know you're just like i'll screw you yeah you know? and interestingly yeah. she kind of internalizes a lot of that criticism later when she kind of says mm -hmm. some demeaning things about the, the the fairer sex so to speak um mm -hmm. that um that she's at war with herself or, her, or like she wants to be an artist but she, to do that, she has to sacrifice being a woman. And that dichotomy is also something I find mm -hmm. a little problematic, you know, but, um, but it's, it's there. And I find it interesting. So. Well, you know, to, to the extent that, um, you know, we have like flawed characters when this, yeah. within the book and Rorley is one of these flawed characters, right? She's not perfect by right. any means. Um, you know, it, it is true that like here, you know, she's obviously going to be, you know, very reactive to not only society, but specifically to like what Romney's telling her, but she, you know, to, to be, you know, like uh, great her craft, like it, it does seem like she, she learns slowly to be less reactive 
less caring, yes. less accommodating. Again, the, the opening stanza of the entire book, right? I will now write for my uses, right? It takes time for her to get to, to that stage, right? Um, it's not it's not merely, you know, that she rejects uh, Romney for being an asshole, although he is. Um, yeah. It's also <laughs> it's also that she has to, you know, she has to grow up as well. Um, and, and, and we, 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 and again, it, it is interesting that we don't, uh, we don't ever see that manuscript. And, um, also like there, there is, you know, speaking to that, like kind of like pagan and Christian, uh, tension, this, you know, the idea that women, you know, ought not or cannot write that does strike me as, you know, something that's much more Victorian than it is Roman or Greek. I mean, you know, when it comes, you know, a lot of like Roman poets, for example, uh, they really put, you know, like, like poets, like, like, um, uh, 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 Sappho, like on a pedestal, right. To the extent yeah. that like, we could find like mm -hmm. fragments of Sappho, it seems like not very good poetry to me, but I mean, who knows what the wider work was. So that, that wasn't necessarily, uh, uh the impression, you know, back then, but, um, you know, kind of you, you, you go into the modern day yeah. and, and you get this kind of like Victorian strain and she is like, you know, picking a lot from, uh, uh, you know, like non, you know, non-Christian mythology to make some of the cases that she's making. Right. Sure. Um, and, you know, like w w maybe we'll get to Virginia Woolf later, right. Who reviewed the book. Right. And, you know, obviously like Virginia Woolf, I think to all three of us is pretty annoying, but what really got me is like when she, <laughs> when she was like, when she was doing her review of Aurora Lee, she was like, this is like, you know, like a pallid woman that's like kind of you know like no, no spirit no verve no life no experience and also she was like knocking her like like elizabeth Bar browning's education which is just insane to me like i i feel like you know based on what i know about her education um she she knew a lot about you know greek and roman classics in the original languages mm -hmm. right and it, it's it's irrelevant that she didn't have the same level of expertise as some of the classicists, you know, from the time period did, because she clearly extracted a lot more actual value that yes. you could build upon from these works than the classicists who, you know, simply treated them as, you know, um, essentially dead tomes that they couldn't do anything with other than, you know, analyze mm -hmm. in pure like linguistic fashion, as opposed to, you know, make something worthwhile with it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Like when she was 11, I think she wrote like the Battle of Marathon, which is her own Homeric epic. But she was yeah, eleven years yeah. old, you know, and she had like a, a blind Greek tutor, I think, which is mm -hmm. cool. Um, and and you know, it's I think it's telling that you know at eleven she sort of dispenses with just pure imitation. And this yeah. book is, I think, you know, she because she is aspiring to this new kind of epic, which the verse novel is supposed to accomplish. And and it is this sort of just you know inert imitation of of bygone poets. It's it's her own spin it's it's her own uh a take on culminating you know everything she's learned and all of history and, and of the arts and all that you know merging it into the present day and present circumstances and it's yeah you know, and, and and people did not like that or they thought it was uh you know not just virginia wolf but like critics of her day i i, yeah. I excerpt a i excerpt a there's a there, I, I put a a, new, a review clipping from a contemporary uh reviewer and it was you know it's about as condescending as you can imagine from a from a sort of boorish male critic at the time but yeah. oh no and, and, and what's interesting to me though is that um you know uh, browning does not uh, and also rora lee uh, they do not reject the idea of you know women's writing as apart from men's writing mm -hmm. um it's it's not it's not even so much that you know they want to do what 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 men do part of it is also like well we could do things that are just as good but 
differently, right? So like, you know, like Browning, she did write, you know, that that like kind of, you know, Homeric style epic early on, right? When she was very young. And you see like in some of her letters and some of the uh, other stuff that she might've said that she rejected a lot of that. She was like, you know, I, I, I was doing something that wasn't me, but what turns out to be me is, is, is something that, an 1800s woman would do, which is not yeah. right Homeric style epics. It's not let's do what men do. Let's do, in a manly masculine way. Um, let's let you know, like some of the reviews, you know, said stuff like it, you know, it would be ridiculous to have a woman write like a Homeric epic. I mean, maybe or maybe not, but to me, it, w- it would just be kind of you know, it would be a little weird. Mm-hmm. And this this is so much preferable. I mean, first of all, right, like you 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 have to deal with um, what's available to you and. I forget what book it is. I will get to it later, but there's this uh, passage that she has something like, um, you know, I, I don't trust writers and critics that cannot extract anything of value from the present age. If they cannot engage with the present age, if they cannot deal with the present age, if they cannot build something out of the present age, I cannot trust them to, you know, say something worthwhile about the past or about the future. Right. Um, yeah. So you know, that, that's not a, another interesting detail. Like it, it is, it is feminist, but not in a way that, you know, uh, contemporary readers might necessarily view the work. Cause I, I feel like a lot of contemporary readers might, might view feminism as nothing more than, you know, uh, let's turn men into women and women into men, right. Which is not what she's arguing. And that's not, you know, that's not necessarily, uh, the route to value. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and, like yeah. I said, it's a lot of defensive stance. It's a lot of defensiveness. Yeah. That's where it stems because she's constantly having, you know, you can't do this and this opposition, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and Aurora, she's also, you know, not just the, uh, the sexism, which is clear, but there's this pessimism of the age that she, that Romney uh, epitomizes. Like in book two, he says, um, this, the civilizer spade grinds horribly on dead men's bones and cannot turn up soil that's otherwise infetted. All success, this is on page, uh, on my edition, page 40, lines 265. Mm. Uh, to, mm. uh, the civilizer spade grinds horribly, uh, second book, on dead men's bones and cannot turn up soil that's otherwise infetted. All success proves partial failure. All advance implies what's left behind. All triumph, something crushed at the chariot wheels. All government, some wrong. And rich men make the poor who curse the rich, who agonize together, rich and poor, under and over in the social spasm and crisis of the ages. So it's not a rosy picture. And then, and then, and Aurora replies with, and, you know, I guess there's still some of that, um, still favoring men somewhat, but she says in page 46 of my mm-hmm. edition, 477, lines 470, uh, 475, rather. I hold you will not compass your poor ends of barley feeding and material ease without a poet's individualism to work your universal. It takes a soul to move a body. It takes a high-souled man to move the masses, even to a cleaner sty. It takes the ideal to blow a hair's breadth off the dust of the actual. Ah, your Fourier's failed because not poets enough to understand that life develops from within. And there's more of that uh, idealism or the spiritual versus the material and the earthly versus the divine that's caught up in, in her response as well. Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean like it's, it's that the cynicism of the age, the, the, the grimy urban industrial materialistic uh, 19th century England that she um, in a kind of romantic 
opposition she she fights against. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she, you know, she still is, uh, as she's fighting in her defensive stance, she still is somewhat deferring at the same time because yes. that to men, because that's the pressures, but it's like, um, yeah. So it's kind of like this back and forth. And I've noticed too, throughout the book, there's this guilt kind of, she feels, she feels like guilty at wanting this attention at wanting the recognition that men have that somehow, you know, Oh, I want this, but am I bad? You know, questioning herself is it is this worth it or is this is, am i bad for, to want this um, and, yeah and right after she says i, I should have read on for me perhaps i am not worthy as you say of worthy. oh there you go yeah perhaps a woman's soul <laughs> aspires and not creates yet we aspire and yet mm-hmm. I'll, I'll try mm-hmm. out your perhaps sir and if i fail why burn me up my straw like other false works so she, she she's mm-hmm. up for the challenge um yep. you know there's so many angles you can go right. with this with this text because it is so rich. It encompasses so many rich internal feelings that that to me, just to limit it to just mere like feminism just yeah. seems like kind of to make it really simplistic because this yeah. is really about an artist's struggle to find herself and her voice and her talent and her, her make her way in the world. Um, you know, yes, it does have the traditional ending where she ends up with the guy, but at least he does show some improvement and you're like, all right, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I was. <laughs> uh, so uh, book two, right? Um, all of this, uh, it comes in the heels of you know, Romney asking uh, t- to marry her. She says no. Yeah. And uh, ultimately, so her, her aunt, right, that she's living with. Um, she hears about the fact that Aurora Lee rejects uh, Romney. And mm. there, there's this uh, a passage around a line, like, like shortly before line 700 in book two, that struck me as like, um, you know, it, 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 it's kind of like ahead of its time because we hear, you know, a lot of women say the same thing now, like, don't, you know, don't fucking tell me how I feel or what I'm thinking, you know, yeah. uh, I could, you know, I could speak for myself, right? Uh, men do often want to, you know, be like, well, I know what you're thinking and it's X, Y, yeah. it, it, you know, it's X, Y, and Z. Mansplaining. Yeah. You know, like, That's I, another thing he does. That's what Romney does, but, mansplain. But, 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 but not even like mansplaining in the generic sense of like, the way that it's used today is like, you know, some woman on Twitter says some dumb fucking thing. Some guy's <laughs> like, well, actually, I was like, oh no, don't do that. Don't, don't don't correct me. Don't mansplain. Right. But but he, here you have um, you know, the example here is much more one of like cutting into like, you know, you know, emotionally who you are. Right. So right. Um, so a- a- after basically being, um, you know, rejecting him and being confronted by her aunt, uh, uh, she uh, uh, Lee writes, I blushed. I feel the brand upon my forehead now strike hot, sear deep, as guiltless men may feel the felon's iron, say and scorn the mark of what they are not. Most illogical, irrational nature of our womanhood that blushes one way, feels another way, and prays perhaps another. After all, we cannot be the equal of the male who rules his blood a little. For Mm -hmm. although I... I blushed indeed as if I loved the man and her indis- and her incisive smile accrediting that treason of false witness in my blush did bow me downward like a swath of grass below its level that struck me. Right. Um, and, you know, th- 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 this is also like I-, I can't think of any other kind of you know passage from this period or even before the 1800s that gets into this kind of dynamic of 
you know, a, a woman sort of like, you know, betraying her, betraying her feelings, but in a way where it's not actually her feelings. This is just like what you want to imbue into her, into her thoughts, right. Into her emotions just for, you know, uh, whatever you want to get out of it. Right. In this case, it's, oh, you have to marry him and, you know, sort of, you know, continue the family line and the way that's prescribed. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and I mean, you know, like in little ways, like, you know, uh, you see this all the time, like, you know, like a woman who goes down the street, like, uh, and, you know, she's not like smiling and some guy hitting on her and the guy's like, smile a little. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And, and, and I, I, I mean, I, one time I, I like, I, when, when I walked down the fucking street, I'm not smiling at anybody. One time, some guy, he was like trying to hand me like some flyer, like some shit. And I just like walked past him and he was like, smile. And I was like, I was so fucking angry. I was like, imagine like hearing this five times a day. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, very much ahead of its time. Even these like little ways that, you know, like you could read this and like completely forget about this like little, you know, passage, but I mean, it's a lot, right. And, and it gets into, mm-hmm. you know, the cores of, uh, you know, being a woman in that time period um, in a way that seems like a little bit throwaway, but it's not right. It's, it's a lot more important than it seems. Um mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So and she's able to pick that apart. So, yeah, uh, yeah. 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 Um, well, book, book to ends, uh, I believe, with her decision to, uh, yeah, to go to London. Right. So she decides to to go to London yeah. uh, to be a a writer, and uh, book three opens up uh, already with, uh, I guess, a little bit of uh, success. Right. She's I don't know exactly how old she is, but she she's older than twenty, so- younger. 27 i think 27 yeah she's already 27 year okay so yeah so so um she she's made some headway as a writer right uh she's constantly getting like fan mail right editors are asking her for this or that right opinions on various things so you know essentially she's kind of like a mini celebrity right um in, in that world but she she's not she's not happy with her work. And this is the other interesting part about all this. Um, I feel like a lot of like more typically feminist style books from this time period or later would be like, ah, and now she has found fame and everything that she's Mm -hmm. ever wanted. She has. And isn't that so wonderful? She has finally proven herself, but really she knows better. She knows that although yes, as a woman, she's found fame and she's making some money, that's not enough. She wants something more than that. She wants to be great at the craft. She wants to be a great poet. And so far, all that she has to show for it are, you know, essentially youthful verses, right? As she characterizes them. Mm-hmm. Um, again, very, it's mere, very to- mere tones. She yeah. says mere tones and organized to any tune. Yes. And she, I think she gets, um, she rips. Oh yeah. Here she talks about, I rip my verses up and found no blood upon the rapier's point. So basically that there's there's no real, there's no life to them is what yeah. she's saying. Yeah. Um, uh, um, Which got- again speaks of that self-awareness. I mean, yeah. like for many people, I sit and wonder, like you get these kind of writers and they get a little bit of notoriety and then to that, is that enough for them? And they're just like, hey, there you go. And it's all about the image, but she wants something more than that. She's like, but no, I want to, uh, you know, have something that lasts. That's long lasting. Yeah. And she's, and she's, she is self-aware and objective. Even in lines 204 to like 207, she says, I worked with patience, which means almost power. I did some excellent things indifferently, some bad things excellently. Both were praised, the latter loudest. And I don't think, you know, it's. Mm. It's, it's hard to be aware of the quality of her own work. Maybe she's wrong, but it, 
it's uh, it's telling that she can be so objective about it. And plus, some of the passages here are just incredibly beautiful. Like, like when she's uh, I'll, I'll read a bit of it in lines one sixty nine. So happy and un- un- and unafraid of solitude, I worked the short days out and watched the sun on lurid morns or monstrous afternoons like some druidic idol's fiery brass with fixed, unflickering outline of dead heat in which the blood of wretches pent inside seemed oozing forth to incarnadine the air, push out through fog with his dilated disc and startle the slant roofs and chimney pots with splashes of fierce color. Or I saw fog only, the great tawny weltering fog, involve the passive city, strangle it alive and draw it off into the void, spires, bridges, streets, and squares as if a sponge had wiped out London. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's just wonderful. And yeah, a lot of idol, more pagan. Yeah. 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 I, I think probably that's, that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, uh, Jessica and I and others have, you know, identified with uh, this book in some way. Because, I mean, it's not um, like, yeah, I, I often see writers or, you know, I, I, I've known people like in my personal life that they, you know, they admit to being like mediocre writers Yes. Or mediocre critics, and yet they continue to do it simply because it's like, well, you know, I could get my name out there, and you know, uh, you know, I, n- not only do I hate that, it's like we, when you read a book like Aurora Lee, and and people are identifying with the wrong message, right? They're identifying with the success of you know the outward success, and they don't see mm-hmm. what it's really about. We, you know, it's the internal struggle. It's the idea of I want to make something valuable and worthwhile on my own terms, not simply as you know, like let, let me let me get the same fame as a man, right, or or whatever else. Yeah, that's not that's not what it's about, right? So th- this is definitely a, a book for a certain kind of misfit, right? Um, yes. <laughs> so. Um, the real artist, I suppose, rather than just the imitation of one. Yeah, um, sure. You know, because um, a lot of times people are okay with just being the imitation because they figure, well, they don't know the difference anyway. So I can just look the part and play the part and that makes me the part, but it really doesn't. Yes. Um, and, and she knows she's doing sort of like, she's making like encyclopedias, writing for magazines. And yeah. Sort of trivia. And she's not like convinced that she's doing some great work just yet, whereas I feel... Other artists might feel self-important, which everything they write is like, oh, this is this is going to change the world or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, b- book three is also interesting because, um, uh, you know, although she's found this kind of success and you would think that, oh, I have shown Romney up. Right. You know, I, yeah. I did w- uh, what he said that I that I you know couldn't do in some ways, I guess. Um, and yet kind of like you know pretty much every book right every single book whether it's book one even if that's kind of like that the first like superficial interactions that they have to book three where she's far away from him right she's in london she's kind of like doing her own thing um but she's still like mentioning him right she's still clearly thinking about him in every single book right there Mm -hmm. is a a mention of romney right so so like you know uh, if you're reading it for the first time, you know, you don't know that they're going to end up married, but upon rereading it, it, it is an interesting kind of like psychological observation to make that, right, that she is, you know, routinely having this guy in her mind, and it's not all necessarily negative, right? There's that kind of reactive yeah. uh, element, but there's still this kind of, you know, she's still a little bit drawn to him, whether it's because like he does seem to be like a, you know, a good person in many ways, right? He is trying to do something good for the world. 
uh, in the same way that she is, although in a very different way, uh, you know, he, 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 he's in her thoughts. And in book three, this is kind of like a little bit of a device in the sense that after she starts thinking about him, she's visited by the, this uh, character, right? Uh, this this villain, right? The, the closest thing, I guess, you get to a villain in the book, Lady uh, Waldemar, who basically she, you know, she wants to, uh, she's uh, upper class. She wants to marry um, Romney, but she also knows that Romney is interested in, in Aurora. And also she hears about this uh, uh, other, you know, love interest of Romney, right? Um, uh, Marion. Right, this uh, uh, poor mm. girl, poor girl that he sort of, you know, uh, uh, takes for himself and decides that, you know, this is this is the one that I'm going to marry. He, she's essentially one of his uh, charity cases that he visits, and he uh, he, he falls in love with her. Um, and uh, th- does anybody want to say about uh, uh, anything about the visit or about Lady Voldemort Wal- in general? Well, yeah, Voldemort, she's just a manipulator. Yeah, um, yeah. she's just sort of spinning it and. And uh, and I, how much I wonder with uh, regard to um, Aurora and her thinking of Romney is really deep down still going back to his, kind of craving his validation a little bit, probably yeah. wanting to prove herself to to um, prove you know win his validation. And it could be in the back of back of her mind. And then yes, we see Marion. Marion is basically based on a on a Barrett Browning herself. Uh, so it's like a character within the character within the you know within the yeah. book is uh, just a uh, she's uh, poor she's had a hard life she's struggled and um, you know Romney wants to marry her this is you know out of I think pity um, it's not a reason to marry anybody but he it's never actually said in the beginning but but she figures this out Marion mm-hmm. figures this out and she stands him up she's like no yeah. hell no. And you're like, good for her, um, because yeah. he, he, you know, pretty much she realizes. I think she actually makes the horse quote about wanting a wife is no different than a horse, and it's like, wow, Romney, you really, you don't know. Um, so uh, yeah, so Lady Waldemore, she kind of just comes in and she manipulates things and she spins it, and you know, she sees what what she can, uh, uh, you know, she's just trying triangulating people, and and Aurora doesn't like her. She she sees her as pretentious and phony and yeah. and uh, yeah she didn't like her and for good reason yeah um, and it, it, it's interesting so like you know even as the book starts right she's um she is sort of like reacting uh, it seems like to to Romney's comments right where she she feels like all right maybe Romney was kind of right in the sense that you know I I can't be a poet right because I'm a woman. Uh, you know, she, she starts uh, uh, taking to heart what he says, but for, for the wrong reasons, right? Her issue is not that she's a woman. Her issue is the inexperience. Um, yes. In the same way that Romney, right? Okay, so w- what is his flaw? His flaw is he starts conflating his pity for people with genuine love and affection. And he starts conflating yeah. pity with like some kind of you know uh, equality, right? Right, w- w- marriage like entails like some level of equality, and um, you know he he's just assuming that you know as long as I have the pity part down, uh, I could have the marriage, right? I could have uh, I could have the love, right? So both of them in their different ways are making these you know uh, a dual 
conflations, right? Uh, early on, right? She's, you know, she, she, she's thinking, you know, what if, what if they're right? Right. And, and, and Romney is doing, is doing mm-hmm. something similar. Right. But, but, you know, like they're, they're both kind of like wallowing in their own flaws. Right. Which is, it's interesting, especially when you think of like some of the criticisms of the book where, you know, they're saying things like, you know, none of these characters are, are real or, you know, rich in any way. I mean, I, I guess like to the extent that a novel in verse can't have the same richness of character as maybe a novel might, right? Because they just do different things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I guess you could sort of say that a little bit, but, you know, uh, if you actually pay attention to what's going on, you see tons of like little things like this, like cropping up again and again uh, throughout the text that do indicate a, a richness of character. Um so okay, so so book three, right? She, uh, she she she's visited by Lady uh, Waldemar. She hears about Marion after uh, Aurora's asked to break them up, right? So that she could marry uh, Romney. And out of curiosity, like, wait, who is this? Like, who is this uh, a charity case that um, uh, uh, Romney uh, wishes to marry? Let let's see what this is about. So she decides to visit Marion and see and see what happens. Um, and I'm not sure if it's book three or yeah, it's still in book three is when she actually mm-hmm. like, yeah. like, like it's physically described where Marion lives. And I found this like very interesting, like around like line 790, 789. Um, so as she's like visiting essentially her in this tenement, um, it's described as I passed too quickly for distinguishing and pushed a little side door hanging on a hinge and plunged into the dark and groped and climbed the long, steep, narrow stair, twixt broken rail and mildewed wall that led the plaster drop to startle me in the blackness. Still up, up, so high lived Romney's bride. It's almost as if like yeah. he's, you know, he's cloistering her away in this apartment that it's kind of like dingy and in keeping with like Marion's, I guess, like what maybe she's a little bit used to, right. Being a charity case. And yet like, it's very high up. Right. And it's like this, it's an interesting metaphor for what Romney feels like in relation to other people, right. His charity, his philanthropy, his liberalism, uh, is meant to, or rather in his mind, right? It's meant to equalize him with others. But it, instead, you have all these clues. And this is like, you know, it's just like a little bit of physical description, like where this woman lives. And yet there's this feeling of there is no actual equality, right? There is this kind of idea where, you know, he uh, yeah. he, he still wants to be apart from others, whether it's, you know, she lives high up or whether it's the fact that she's cloistered away, Right. There's still or or the fact that, you know, no way does Romney live in the kind of conditions that his wife yeah. to be lives in. Right. That's like another interesting mm-hmm. little element. Like what? Like why right, of all right. why of all places that she end up in this apartment? Like it's weird. Um, Like for Lady Waldemar, I, I, I like that, like her verbal exchanges with Aurora. It's not like some maybe in some ways it's sort of like cat fight, right? <laughs> Um, there's this verbal sparring, but there's also this, this intense clash of personalities because Lady Waldemar has this almost pathological view of love. And, you know, for Aurora, love is this exemplar and it's the, it's like, it's everything to her because of her father's words. And, and Lady Waldemar says, uh, well, love's course, nature's course. Ah, there's a rub. We fair fine ladies who park out our lives from common sheep paths cannot help the crows from flying over. We're as natural still as blows Alinda. Drape us perfectly in Leon's velvet. We are not for that. Lay figures. Look you. 
We have hearts within, warm, live, and provident in decent hearts, as ready for distracted ends and acts, as any distressed sempstress of them all that Romney groans and toils for. We catch love and other fevers in the vulgar way. You know, and so there's this, and it's, it ties into what my thoughts on Marion are, like, there's this kind of purity complex that shows up in both Lady Waldemar and Aurora and Romney, where, you know, Romney wants to, you know, he's, he's all for helping the poor, but he basically, like Rapunzel, he just stashes Marion up in this high tower. And, and some of mm -hmm. Aurora's thoughts about Marion's child later on, that purity complex shows up again and is challenged. Yes. So, you know, again, like with these like liberals who, you know, uh, or anyone really, not just liberals, not to be totally, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, anyway, uh, like it could be anyone who professes this, um, like want to, to, to clean the filth, but are themselves mm -hmm. like so disgusted by the filth. Um, whether that's yeah. the, of the, of the proletariat, yeah. the working class or the poor, you know, they just want to, you know, cleanse the, they just want to cleanse it from their side. Do, do a Travis yeah. Bickle, you know, the oh, words? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's like when wipe away, yeah, the rain will come. Yeah. That's kind of <laughs> what's going on here. And, you yeah. know, and it's interesting because then when, when we see later, when, um, Aurora encounters Marion again, and she sees that she has a child and she immediately goes to judging her because exactly. it's still the Victorian kind of like pressure. And then she's like, comes to find out that no, this is what happened, that she was actually assaulted. And, and, and Aurora is immediately, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm such a jerk, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that was it, that. it's an interesting observation uh, uh, because like, you know, uh, 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 Zeke mentioned that her father left with this idea that, um, you know, love is, is supposed to be very high. It's supposed to be very important. But he also, you know, Aurora says that he left me with two ideas, right? Two words, love and grief, right? So mm. to her, it's not, it's not mere, you know, there's this kind of conflation, right? They have to be, you know, they have to be uh, uh, together, right? right you right. can't have, mm -hmm. you can't, you can't necessarily have one without the other. And Rami doesn't, you know, view it in that way. Uh, um, uh, you know, others don't view it in that way, but she does seem to have a far more complex view of, of love, just like, you know, uh, Elizabeth Bar Browning herself, right? Um, when you look, read, stuff like songs from songs from the Portuguese, a very complicated relationship with love. It's not merely, yes. uh, you know, the same with the, the John Donne, right? You know, when he writes about love and God, um, a complex relationship, it's not merely, you know, what you would expect, right. From, uh, people in their respective stations, uh, to have these points of view, but you know, it's, it, it's all part of it. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yes. And she says, that's how she, I remember how she finishes it. Um, the, the, I think I quote that in my review, um, about God alone, make heaven. And, um, ugh, I wish I had the quote off the top of my head, but basically, yeah, art stems from love and, and, you know, so it's a very romantic take yes. on it. It's a very romantic, I mean, she's a very passionate, romantic person. Mm. Um, mm. yeah. Uh, so, so, uh, book three ends with, um, Marion just uh, starting to to tell her story and she continues this story in in the fourth book right and yep. it, it's kind of like you know going back to uh exactly what the context of the meeting was which uh, as we mentioned uh she was like one of these like charity cases Romney saw her and she starts to like you know identify immediately like 
you know, like I, I hope Romney comes back and, you know, sees me again. You know, I, I want to uh, uh, be sort you know, with him in some way. Um, you know, similar, I guess, to like what happens, though, you know, with, with uh, uh, Jane Eyre, uh, where, uh, you know, she sees Rochester as like the first man that's truly like really kind to her. Uh, and starts to like, you know, fall in love with this like total weirdo in many ways. And, and Romney, huh. um, you know, Romney is like, you know, being kind to her. And there's this, you know, you get right away that, uh, you know, if you're a modern reader, maybe a, a little less than 1800s, but if you're a modern reader, and this is, you know, one of those things where like when you have great art, it's not very easy to just like date it, right? It's not easily dated. If you're a modern reader, you know right away that just from a psychological perspective, this doesn't seem to be the best bedrock for a relationship, right? And, and you know, it, it takes Marion some time to figure that out. Aurora sees it right away. And uh, Waldemar mm -hmm. sees it herself as well, but she sees it for selfish reasons, right? It's not like that she, she doesn't have a, mm -hmm. a bedrock for love either, right? But she just wants what she wants, right? Whereas like, uh, you know, Aurora, mm -hmm. it takes it takes Marion some time to get to where uh, Aurora is, right? Like Aurora is a more kind of self-actualized mm -hmm. person, but the irony is uh, Marion, you know, self-actualizes ultimately before Aurora does, right? Um, yeah. And you know, uh, and that's when Aurora is able to marry Romney and, after. And Jess, Jess mentioned earlier how uh, Marion is also sort of a fragment of Elizabeth's um, personality because she has the same physical description. Mm -hmm. And and speaking of dichotomies, like I guess one could read Aurora as the sort of the intellectual vigor of of Elizabeth and her her passions and her her need to become mm -hmm. her own artist and her own name in the world and. And Marion sort of represents that because Elizabeth Barrett Browning was a, you know, she was addicted to what laudanum, which is an, an opium, uh, uh, what's the word, like offshoot or something. But she yeah. was basically she was she was addicted to drugs and was an invalid oh, for much of her life, and so she would be bedridden and homestuck, and uh, in, in much the same way that Marion is this sort of fragile. Like I think like the very first physical description of her, is she's like a vapor, and she's always this pale mm. and insubstantial creature. And then, you know, at mm -hmm. the very end, she just sort of like, just sort of fades away while, you know, Romney and Aurora gush over each other. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, and like, even there's like in, in uh, like Aurora's room and her childhood is like this fertile nest, like very natural and like with birds and, and nature all around. And, and Marion, mm -hmm. when we first meet her, she's in this like, this like constrained urban yeah. environment. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of dichotomies here, which, I feel like it kind of makes it less complex, the book entire, but we don't have to go there yet. But Yeah, well, yeah. Marion comes yeah. off as I had written a note here, like she says, much fitter for his handmaid than his wife. It's She's so self-deprecating and she's sort right. of a quintessential codependent. You know, she does just really just has no self-esteem. And as you were mentioning, you know, um, she comes to actualize herself before Aurora after they've spent some time away. And then when Aurora sees her, she's like, no, no, this is what happened. I, you know, yes. I have this child because of this. I was assaulted. She seems to have come to know herself. Um, and then Aurora's like, oh God, I'm a jerk. What did I do? You know, and judging you. And um, I thought that was just uh, really handled, handled really well. Yeah. And, and the self-actualization is like, because Marion is, like all the characters, but it's it's explicitly stated that Aurora is sort of ventriloquizing mm -hmm. for her because mm -hmm. her speech is very common and rustic. And so Aurora mm -hmm. sort of 
yeah. I guess, sophisticates it. Um, but her sex self-actualization is in itself in the book sort of just built into Aurora's own through the language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And her own mm-hmm. discoveries is, is caught up in, in, in Aurora's as the, as the book progresses. So I thought that was cool. And I just came to that insight right now. So it's probably not worth it. But I, I don't know. It makes sense to me. <laughs> that's how they, that's how they happen. <laughs> yeah. They, they yeah. pop into your head. Yeah. Um, it, it, I, her uh, Aurora's comments on you know this kind of like so-called love, uh, I found very interesting and also like very modern, right? You don't necessarily see this kind of stuff uh, 150 years ago. Um, mm. So this is line 176. Uh, when she asks about like, well, you know, does he love you? Uh, her words reproved me. This perhaps was love to have its hands too full of gifts to give for putting out a hand to take a gift to love so much. The perfect round of love includes in strict conclusion being loved as Eden do went up and fell again enough for watering Eden. Obviously she had not thought about his love at all. The cataracts of her soul had poured themselves and risen self-crowned in rainbow. Would she ask who crowned her? It suffice that she was crowned, right? So mm. this is this is what she mm-hmm. sees in Marion in the same way that, you know, she's sort of coming to terms and has not fully resolved her own flaws, right? She's going to have to self-actualize. Marion will self-actualize mm-hmm. uh, as well. Uh, Zeke characterized it as like, she's just sort of like, you know, fades away. I'm mm-hmm. not so sure if Marion fades away. She probably does. And, you know, it seems like she would go on to live a richer and more fulfilling life right? Ultimately, simply because of, you know, the strength of her sure. character, you know, by the, by the end of the mm-hmm. text, right? Which, um, you know, you, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily expect given how uh, things begin, right? Um, uh, here, right? When, when, yeah, when and constant, yeah, constant referencing to uh, being women low to the ground. Oh, she yes, wants yeah. to be mm-hmm. um, pleasure, Marion pleasures him to stoop for buttercups, I would not be a rose upon a wall, a queen might stop, you know, just real separate self-deprecating talk talk. I'd rather be trodden by his foot than lie in a great queen's bosom. It's just like, really? Yeah, yeah both you know, Marion, uh, both Marion and Aurora like describe themselves as worms when it comes to the male figures in their life. Yeah, worms <laughs> and lo- <laughs> like, like I are. said, flowers, flowers on the ground. They're right, very yeah. pretty and they're and they're off onto the side, but they don't cause any trouble, but they're over there and they, they're not going to harm you, but they're pretty. And yeah, it's a kind of interesting way to uh, view that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, <laughs> so like, so a- after all this happens, right, Marion tells uh, the story, uh, Romney uh, goes to uh, visit um so, so he, you know, he enters the apartment and he sees uh, Aurora for the first time. It seems uh, it, it, in a while, and there's a an interesting set of interactions, right, where uh, she starts to sort of feel like, well, maybe, you know, she's not so sure about. Uh, she, she's kind of like confused about her feelings, right, in relation to Romney after all this happens, and it's interesting because like there's no real evidence that he has changed. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. you start, no, you, no. like you, you start to think like, well, what exactly has changed? Uh, is Barrett Browning writing the following flaw into Rorley's character, meaning uh, the flaw that, hey, look, you know, uh, I didn't want this guy. He's an asshole. 
I made the objectively mm-hmm. correct decision. But now, since he's about to be, you know, married to this other woman, am I going to like, you know, be like a little jealous? Am I suddenly going to, you know, yeah. and, and that's like a stereotypical kind of like, you know, uh, well, you know, I guess like historically, it's a stereotypical, like feminine thing, but it applies obviously to, you know, a men and women equally, right? There's this idea of uh, if, if there's someone that's like, not giving you their love and it's kind of like, you know, dangling it away, you start to sort of pine for it. That's kind of like a normal psychological uh, reaction, right? And abusers sort of, you know, understand that as well. Um, but, you know, it, right. well, it, it, longing, it is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Carrot dangling. Yeah, it, it yeah, is interesting just, that, just she, like, that she has this longing now, right? For no, no, nothing has changed again. But why is why is this happening, yeah. right? Um, and so, so their their interaction, right? Like uh, she, like she does not like when when Romney uh, tells her, well, Lady Waldemar uh, is good. She doesn't correct them, right? She like Aurora knows right away that she's a manipulator. This is a bad person. Um, and yet, for whatever reason, she doesn't. Uh, she doesn't. She, she doesn't exactly say what she's up to. Um, and yeah. this is this is the way that she characterizes this. I, I found this like a, an interesting passage. What drew me back from telling Romney plainly the designs of Lady Waldemar, as spoken out to me, me, had I any right? I write with womanly compassion and reserve to break the fall of woman's impudence. To stand by calmly, knowing what I knew, and hear him call her good? Distrust that word. There is none good save God, said Jesus Christ. If he once in the first creation week called creatures good forever afterward, the devil only has done it, and his heirs, the knaves who win so, and the fools who lose. Mm. The word's grown dangerous. In the Middle Age, I think they called malignant phase and imps good people. A good neighbor, even in this, is fatal sometimes. Cuts your morning up to mincemeat of the very smallest talk, then helps to sugar her bohia at night with your reputation. I have heard, I have known good wives as chaste or nearly so as Potiphar's, and good, good mothers who would use a child to better an intrigue. Good friends beside, very good who hung succinctly round your neck and sucked your breath as cats are fabled to do by sleeping infants. And we all have known good critics who have stamped out poets' hopes, good statesmen Mm. who pulled ruin on the state, good patriots who for a theory risked the cause, good kings who disemboweled for a tax, good popes who brought all good to jeopardy, good Christians who sate still in easy chairs and damned the general world for standing up. Now, may the good God pardon all good men, right? And this is like, you know, it's kind of like an attack Mm -hmm. a little bit on like the Romney liberalism, you could say, and like a bunch of other things. And Mm -hmm. also like, you know, she's bringing back the idea of art, right? Like, this idea of like, you know, art, art critics and so on, right? Like art is like, mm. even when she's like talking about these other, you know, uh, more worldly concerns, like art is never very far from uh, what's going on, right? Either superficially mm-hmm. or like internally in this book. Um, it was interesting. You made a good point when you brought up the devil. There's a great line in here. And I, I think I wrote it in my review, but I, I the devil is something like the devilish, the devil is the most devilish when when respected. Yeah. So yeah. that's when the devil can get you is when it's some coming from someone you respect. And that's very, very true. 
Um, yeah. No, I just thought that I, I can't remember where that is in the in the book. I'm sure if I searched it, but um, yeah. Um, and and with the Jesus Christ name drop, if if I can, I guess bring the religious aspect to it, or or the spiritual might be a better word. Um, like throughout the book, there's this. There's again the dichotomy. There's the world of surfaces and appearances, um, mm-hmm. and the material, and then there's the world that's beyond it, which is the actual real world. I think, I guess it'd be tempting to say it's the Platonic ideal, but then uh, later on, Aurora kind of reverses that. She says, "No, it's not the ideal. It's actually the real, and mm-hmm. the world of appearances is that which is illusory." Um, and here, good is you know used ironically, I suppose, like like you know Brutus is an honorable man. That sort of thing, um, mm-hmm. good in the sense of like social customs. I the, the appearances. Oh, I'm polite to you, and we do small talk, but then later I'll gossip about you. Or I'm good in public standing, but then I'll, you know, I'll, I'll uh, commit fraud or something like that. And and here, you know, Lady Waldemar is good in that way. Um, and, I, and I suppose mm-hmm. uh, Aurora, mm-hmm. she he has no, she she doesn't really desire to break that illusion for Romney, um, but uh, although she wants to. But uh, mm-hmm. and, and for Romney Aurora, it's uh, uh, or where is it? I think you know it's funny how he's still so salty about what happened uh, about her rejection. <laughs> uh, what yeah, does he say? Yeah. He says, uh, "No, no, no." He sighed. With then lines three twenty one uh, down. No, no, no. He sighed with a sort of melancholy, impatient scorn as some grown man who never had a child puts by some child who plays at being a man. You did not, do not, cannot comprehend my choice, my ends, my motives, nor myself. No matter now, we'll let it pass, you say. I thank you for your generous cousinship, which helps us present. I accept for her your favorable thoughts. We are fallen on days, we two, who are not poets, when to wed requires less mutual love than common love, for two together to bear out at once upon the love. You know, he goes on and on about how. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is, he's just so bitter about it. But then later on, like, they have this long talk, and it, none of their dialogue is, is shown or written out, but. You know, it's it's just Aurora internalizing the the talk later on. It's, you know, it's and they're vibing. I guess it's the common word now. And um, I don't know, like in the movie, like I'm, I'm picturing like a like a, in the great Woody Allen film. It's like these two people who are, you know, in a past relationship. They're talking. Their their romance is slowly rekindling. And you know, those dialogue exchanges. I get the, that picture um, about how she's writing. How like there's this nice description of how there's you know two clocks set at the wrong time. Uh, they'll eventually merge, and 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 it's that sort of exchange with them. Like mm-hmm. they, they, they were too close to be really um, when separated to be ever fully divided, so, mm-hmm. something like that. But I, I thought mm-hmm. that was a nice subtle, um, subtle way to, you know. So insofar as this is a love story, a lot of these, like what you said, Alex, about how Romney is keeps popping up. Insofar yeah. as this is a love story, it's a very subtle way to, you know, she's not pining over him. You know, she has her own personhood, but. It's a subtle way to express the, the growth of their love, you know, in her mind. And, and mm-hmm. so it doesn't come as an incomplete shock. When, mm-hmm. the yeah, because yeah. we never really we never really hear what he his perspective so much right. other than yeah. other than everything is told through her lens. Yes. So we don't know what he's internalizing. But at one point she does. She's made references that at least early on that he just doesn't seem to have a very rich interior life. Sure. He's kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, again surface driven yeah. image driven i gotta save the world because it'll yeah. make me look good and it'll redeem me make me a good person but i do think underneath all that he really does want to be better it's just he doesn't mm-hmm. 
he's a buffoon. He doesn't really have a good way with words. He says all the wrong things. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of hard to be like, oh, yay, right. Romney. I guess he yeah. gets his comeuppance <laughs> later on, right? Yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a very uh, horrible way. But anyway. Zeke, do you want to tackle uh, 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 book five um, since that's uh, one of your favorites? And I, I, I agree. I agree with you that it, it's it's uh, uh, perhaps philosophically the richest of the books. Well, it's really like like I said earlier, um, and a lot of what these thoughts were informed by my own research on it, so it's not entirely original. But like how how books one through four are very retrospective, and she's writing. She's like uh, she's twenty seven. She's writing everything about her childhood. And so there's nostalgia. But then book five and onwards, there's this, um, she's writing it later, but like, I think in some books, she's like, she's, she's, she's writing, like, uh, I'm writing this down right now. There's mm-hmm. a sort of immediacy and that begins in book mm-hmm. five. And I think with the, the distance between character and narrator, when that recedes, uh, at book five, there's this sort of um, breaking the fourth wall moment, I feel, where mm-hmm. it's not just Aurora speaking, but it's Elizabeth Barry Browning, because she's being pretty yeah. like, She's being pretty obvious about what she wants to do with the book, um, mm-hmm. about how, like what you said to that passage earlier, about how she she, she distrusts poets who, I'll, I'll just read it out. I haven't marked it. Yeah, let's read it. Um, it's like 155 uh, or so. 155, okay, let me, uh, yes, uh, is, can I actually read a pretty long one? I just, yeah, do whatever you want. Okay, cool. This is 150, 151. So like 198, something like that. Okay. I, or uh, all men are possible heroes, every age heroic in proportions, double-faced, looks backward and before, expects a morn, and claims an epos. I, but every age appears to souls who live in it, ask Carlyle, most unheroic, ours, for instance, ours, the thinkers scout it, and the poets abound who scorn to touch it with a fingertip, a pewter age, mixed metal, silver-washed, an age of scum spooned off the richer past, an age of patches for old gabardines, an age of mere transition, meaning not, except that what succeeds must shame it quiet, if God please. That's wrong thinking, to my mind, and wrong thoughts make poor poem. Mm. Every age, through being beheld too close, is ill-discerned by those who have not lived past it. We'll suppose Mount Athos carved, as Persian Xerxes schemed, to some colossal statue of a man, the peasants gathering brushwood in his ear, had guessed as little of any human form up there as would a flock of browsing goats. They'd have, in fact, to travel 10 miles off or ere the giant image broke on them. Full human profile, nose and chin distinct, mouth muttering rhythms of silence up the sky and fed at evening with the blood of suns. Grand torso, hand that flung perpetually the largesse of a silver river down to all the country pastures. Tis even thus with times we live in, evermore too great to be apprehended near. But poets should exert a double vision, should have eyes to see near things as comprehensively as if afar they took their point of sight, and distant things as intimately deep as if they touched them. Let us strive for this. I do distrust the poet who discerns no character or glory in his times and trundles back his soul 500 years past moat and drawbridge into a castle court. Oh, not to sing of lizards or of toads alive in the ditch there, twere excusable, but of some black chief half knight, half sheep lifter, some beauteous dame, half chattel and half queen, as dead as must be for the greater part, the poems made on their chivalric bones. And that's no wonder, death inherits death. And, you know, this is the, this is the era where, you know, Tennyson was writing Idols of the King, 
And there was this Victorian uh, sort of uh, nostalgic yearning for medieval romance. Mm-hmm. There was all this medieval literature that had resurged. And um, I think poets were, they were disgusted with their age, which is discussed there. Um, and they wanted to, they found that in these sort of fairy tales or myths, they could mm-hmm. find a, a touch of the ineffable or the grand, mm-hmm. or the fantastic. Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. but Aurora and Elizabeth Ray Browning, she's making the claim that like, no, again, like the, the double thing, like you're looking at appearances and just because this current age seems grimy and too near to you, like true poets should be able to see beyond the appearances and find like the greatness and the, the glory. Mm-hmm. Well, that, go, you know, that goes to Whitman, you know, how yeah, Whitman right. Which found... is Lisa Grass published one year earlier. <laughs> yeah. I mean, makes you wonder. I don't know if she read <laughs> it or not, um, but it's like, you know, I mean, where he found beauty and in, in otherwise... Um, this, you know, in the mundane or in, in, uh, just, uh, in the grime, in the grime of right. life, the grit and dirt. And it's like, I once had someone tell me like, oh, they had this Whitman statue in Candom, Candom, New Jersey or something or other. And some, and, and they said, oh, if only he knew that his statues there, he'd hate Camden's such a crappy place, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, actually he'd probably like it because that's, represents like kind of how he is it's like you know seeing the beauty and otherwise the the grime and the dirt and up until that point you know poets had all been romantic and intellectual and it's it was a an astute profession yeah and now you know like like you had Whitman writing about you know the guy you know coal mining and or the guy you know fueling uh, the blacksmith or whatever yeah. everyday trade people that there could be beauty and art found in everyday trade sure. things. And she seems to recognize this. Yes. And and I want to add, this might not be exactly Aurora or Elizabeth Brown's point, but like it's that ability of the artist to basically use their immediate surrounds for, and see like story, like maybe an artist yeah. says sees a rock and thinks it's a skull and writes a, a oh. story about Joan of Arc, you know, uh, <laughs> Basically, just not <laughs> shying away from something that's near you because it doesn't have mm-hmm. this uh, exotic or, or fanciful air and being able to utilize that for, like, good stories. I, I don't know if I, maybe, like, Aurora or Elizabeth Browning's being a little more um, high-minded than that. Uh, but I think that's, but that's interpretation exists and, and it's there. Um, mm-hmm. but, but, yeah, I mean, so much of book five is basically her. It seems to me justifying why she's writing this book. Um, and for Aurora's character, just her, I guess, solidified her sense of what artist she wants to be and, um, using sophisticated Mm -hmm. philosophizing to basically justify herself to whoever might be reading it. Maybe it's critics, maybe not. Um, and it's, you know, it's beautiful language. And I think there's a party later on too that happens, but it's, it's mostly like plot, but there are some interesting things that happen. Yeah. 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 uh, Speaking of plot, uh, uh, I I tried to be like very systematic uh, D-Day invasion type thing. (laughs) And yet we forgot that in book book four, something critical happens. Oh, yes, that's right. That's right. Like, so Romney and Marion are supposed to get married and Marion. Oh, yeah, the letter. Yeah. And and Marion, you know, doesn't show up to her own wedding. And she just, you know, she writes this letter saying, I can't marry you. Right. I, I don't think that this is actually love. Right. So she's she's starting this kind of like self-actualization process. And interestingly mm-hmm. enough, like I, I found it funny how um, and also like another kind of, you know, like speaking of like uh, Aurora Lee's uh, uh, humor throughout, um, 
like the the crowd starts to turn on <laughs> yeah. on Romney, right? They start to blame him, right, for doing uh, like something bad. Like, did you like you know violate the honor of this woman? Like, what, what exactly right. what exactly happened? Which is funny because I mean, we already have like as contemporary readers, like we have like a a critique of liberalism. Uh, Browning has her critique of liberalism, and she's you know she, she, she's she's turning like. You know, like Romney Lee uh, is is essentially turned into this like villain by this crowd, despite the fact that we know that you know his let's say intentions were good, but that's just you know Browning's way uh, of saying that you know maybe his intentions were good, but we know that he's a deeply flawed person, and we're right. going to have him punished partly for these flaws in this way in particular, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to mm-hmm. have like the the instruments. Of his like creation, right? Whether it's Marion or the philanthropy that he does in general, we're gonna al- allow those instruments to to turn on him as a beginning, right? Ultimately, they turn on him even more deeply by the end of the book. But that's kind of like a, a taste of how volatile, actually, you know, what he's undertaking really is, like a, a, as a means to like you know sort of be like a wake up call, like you know what what exactly are you doing? Are you making the changes that you want to make, or or what exactly mm-hmm. you know is happening else? So. And the reason mm-hmm. I bring this up now is is in book five, uh, near the end of it, there's this kind of like, you know, a socialite party and we mm-hmm. have like, you know, a, a bunch of people that show up and she, he, uh, Aurora Lee hears a rumor that Romney might be marrying Lady Waldemore, right? right? Which, yes, which, yes. which really, which really like uh, affects her um, psychologically. And, and she, you know, she's, she gets upset and then she asks herself, uh, sorry, I don't have the, the the line number here, but she asked herself, and after all now, why should I be pained that Romney Lee, my cousin, should espouse this Lady Waldemar and say she held her newly blossomed gladness in my face? Twas natural, surely, if not generous, considering how when winter held her fast, I helped the frost with mine and pained her more than she pains me. Pains me, but wherefore pained? Tis clear my cousin Romney wants a wife. So good. The man's need of the woman here is greater than the woman's of the man and easier served. For where the man discerns a sex, ah, ah, the man can generalize, said he. We see but one ideally and really where we yearn to lose ourselves and melt like white pearls in another's wine. He seeks to double himself by what he loves and make his drink more costly by our pearls. Mm. Um, I mean, beautiful passage. I'm not sure if you guys have mm-hmm. any like immediate responses to it or what's what's she saying or what. I I do want to say like with the the idea of like he, he takes a wife just to add to himself and he increases his own sense of himself. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to talk about later about how I feel like there's a connection between the the very opening and the the, the very opening of the first book and the very ending of the last book. Um, but how Romney, or or at least a man, he, in in the very opening passage, seems to instrumentalize this image of a woman, yeah. uh, for his own identity. And in this sense, you know, Romney is he wants a wife to increase himself and to to fill up his sense of self. And 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 you know, a woman is simply exists to be dissolved in his wine to add to it. Mm. And and later on, I think one of the endings later on is like. Aurora compares herself to this block of salt being dissolved slowly, slowly, slowly. And, um, and so there's an interesting connection there. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, 
yeah, I, I think that's all I have to say about it. I think I think his motivations are, you know, before he starts to really grow up a little bit, he's very selfishly motivated. He's just like, yes. okay, I'm just really looking for an appendage. And it's quite obvious. Also, I just found that uh, little quote that I mentioned about the devil. It's actually from the seventh book. Mm-hmm. It's the devil, the devil's most devilish when respectable. I thought that was really, ah, mm-hmm. really clever. Um, and that's, I think, referring to uh, Lady Waldemar or anyone who get, has that image, right. you know, that's really very, I mean, what an insight. I mean, that's an incredible insight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah the, the book is just is just uh, full of them. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's, it's also kind of funny, right? I mean, I, 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 right. Found, I found that poor humorous uh, line uh, 1075. For where the man discerns a sex, ah, ah, the man can generalize, said he, we see but one, ideally and really, kind of like, you know, uh, you know, as long as a guy could get, you know, the, uh, 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 you know, a body with a fucking vagina, sure. that's good enough, yeah. right? Um, yeah, yeah, I know, she has, yeah, she has a couple other, there was a couple other uh, funny funny things I, I yeah. said, yeah, basically just like, well, you men, you just, you just are, you know, kind of simplistic. Hum- <laughs> for the humor. And just to talk a little bit about the um, like the wedding scene, like in book five, she says, I don't want to write plays because they're too low or too base and they appeal to popular taste. Yeah, I, 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 guess, I was, yeah, yeah. I was going to connect that to like Dan's experiences uh, writing plays. Like uh, he, oh. he, he said recently, like, I don't even want to send the shit around because, you know, <laughs> with, like there's something about drama specifically that calls forth like the most narcissistic you know, kind of sure. like self-absorbed, you know, like niche kind of like, you know, only, okay, we're, we're only, we only produce uh, plays that are based on, you know, uh, you know, gay men living in like some little fucking town or like sure. whatever, like really, you know, specific things. Mm. And this, this seems to be it, like, there's something about drama and acting, right. That calls forth like these kinds of, you know, personalities. And even in her time, she was able to identify that. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. with, what I think is a little funny, maybe no one else will laugh at it, but in book four, like the church and the wedding, like with this sort of sudden influx of like this new cast of characters and all this dialogue, it seems to be turned into a kind of play in itself with all these contrasting dialects and mm-hmm, this grand mm-hmm. drama and all the people are surging to try to attack Romney. And so like she she gets her little, she gets to do a little play writing in, in, in the book itself mm-hmm. while of course saying, oh, I don't yeah. want to write plays. And also yeah. like her descriptions of the lower class are pretty like gross. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of speak to the purity complex about how like when she talks about these like mean miserable people they're like animals like devoid mm-hmm. of any joy and because they've been sort of crushed but it's like she can't afford to them any sort of personality apart from this you know meanness and coarseness um mm-hmm. which it's it, which is again challenged when, when marion sort of really drops the the gauntlet on her about her her pregnancy yeah i mean it's interesting because like yeah like uh, that part you know the wedding scene right before where you have like all these poor people that are like flooding the streets and i think she uses words like slime ramblings yeah um (laughs) yeah and and you know i i I know that she was like criticized especially you know by modern readers for using this kind of terminology but i mean when i was reading it just it just struck me as okay so like you know browning herself you know she has like poems like the the cry of the children uh i guess when she gets explicitly political they're not necessarily her, her best poems but uh she 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 clearly has lots of political concerns and that scene just felt to me like okay well she she knows what this kind of life is like 
And she's just going to describe it from the perspective of, you know, everybody that's not part of this life, how would they view it? How would they feel? Um, And not, not, not as a way to like demean the crowd, but just to kind of like relate, you know, this is, this is Mm -hmm. what their existence is like, especially as perceived by anyone outside. And yeah, you you mentioned that, you know, we do have a Marion, right. Out of this crowd, you know, Aurora Lee uh, and also Browning herself, they pluck out Marion, who was given complexity, who was given self-actualization. So to the extent that, you know, she is a part of the slime, well, this is also a real human being and it's more complex Mm -hmm. than even like Lady Waldemar, who, you know, is upper crust, right? But she does not have the complexity of a Marion, does not have the self-actualization of a Marion. Yeah. So that's right. Yeah, very true. Very true. Um, well, um, I was thinking the if we move on to, uh, I mean, the fifth book is extremely rich. It's it's a lot of about talk about art and and we could just go on and on just on that book. But what I thought was funny and and when she goes into the sixth book, um, I believe she spends a lot of time. Um, she's in a kind of in her head daydreaming. Yeah. But I, I love that she begins the sixth book. The English have a scornful, insular way of calling the French light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she just again, she's kind of taking some stabs at um, at England, and then, uh, but you know, she sees. I think the, the French. Um, is more, you know, more, more her type, more romantic, I guess, more ideal, um, yeah, ideal, yeah, yeah, idealism, yeah. very, yeah. very romantic, idealist perspective. And from, um, she says, and I'm so st- strong to love this noble France. Um, yeah. so, uh, yeah, if I would call that, this is, this is a lot of six <laughs> book going into her musings. I walked on musing with myself on life and art and yes. it's more just, you know, internal so, so, so dialogue. She, so she's, she's in France right now. Right. So that's another interesting on thing. Her way to right? Italy, right. Yeah. So, so she, so, so like this thing that, you know, other writers would just use as kind of like throwaway observation about like France or whatever, uh, yeah. she, you know, she's using it to move the plot, but also making it rich in and of itself. How will I you know tell the reader right now that I'm in France? Well, you know, a more kind of like basic 1800s, like, you know, women's literature might sort of, you know, prosaically give you that statement. But here we have a philosophical di- digression about France yeah. and English mm-hmm. and that, you know, before yeah. we get before we get to the plot point, why is she doing this? Why is this relevant? Oh, she's now walking through France uh, before she, you know, runs across and, and sees Marion with a child, mm-hmm. right? And she, she gets mm-hmm. suspicious, right? Mm-hmm. So. You know, e- even as a plot device, right? There's a lot of richness there. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and all the, on all the musing, I think it's sort of it's. I mean, there is philosophizing, but there's there's some kind of uncertainty there, which I think shows her sort of reflecting on her own prior positions and how mm-hmm. she might grow. Um, mm-hmm. Like I walked on musing with myself in lines two or three on life and art and whether, after all, a larger metaphysics might not help our physics, a completer poetry adjust our daily life and vulgar wants more fully than the special outside plans, land stories, material institutes. So, you know, it's, it's kind of in line with what you're saying, but there's still this sort of, she's still wondering if whether or not it actually will help, help especially mm-hmm. after her, like, you know, she's, she's left London because, you know, of the embarrassment of Romney and Marion's marriage and she sold all her father's books. So there's this kind of emotional low point for her. Uh, mm-hmm. She just wants to go home. She just wants to recapture this former childhood paradise. And so, Mm-hmm. You know, preparing her for the end. Um, yes. But, <laughs> and although when she sees Marion finally, I thought it was it's pretty cinematic how it's 
portrayed all the like the the suddenness of the lines and all that but yeah i i yeah, I, found, I found that part interesting uh partly because um you know going back to this idea of aurora lee is not like some perfect heroine yeah uh she, so she sees who she thinks is marion with a child right ultimately right. it does it does turn out to be marion but it, it what jumped out to me was how quickly she just rushed to judgment about yeah. she, she must have stolen the child when i when i read that like I, you know i've read this book before but you know you lose like some of the plot details and uh i was like wow like so like what exactly is the reason for jumping to this not only is it like like a very melodramatic but she starts musing like okay how will I turn her into the police? Will the police believe me? She's already like constructed this entire narrative of what Marion did, stole this child. She's already fantasizing about turning her in and what that would look like. How could she actually do that? Um, and, and, you know, like why exactly does she have this point of view? Is it because, you know, she has maybe... Um, uh, some of these kinds of negative feelings, like, you know, from book four to the extent that she uses words like sl slime or whatever, does she still view Marion as this kind of pitiful figure yes. that no way could have a child in any way other than through theft, right? Because no way could someone love her, you know, in a genuine <laughs> way and marry her, right? Mm -hmm. Is there is there something else going on? But, you know, th that, that struck me as like, when I'm mm -hmm. reading like critiques of the book or analyses, that you know, people pass over that part, but I but I think it's it's very interesting in terms of just psychologically and also like in terms of like building a character, building flaws, yeah, you know, making sure that Aurora Lee is not ever some perfect, perfect person, right? Um, and she's rushed to judge the way you know she in the beginning she feels judged by people, so she's actually doing some of the same stuff that yeah. you know uh people did to her. Yeah. Um, but that's that's normal. That makes her. Yeah, she's yeah. not this perfect person. She's got flaws. But then she comes to realize she admits her mistake when she comes. Yeah. Marion says, I, I was seduced. She doesn't use the word salted. I was seduced. And basically, you know, and then she's like, oh, and she's very apologetic and she becomes very protective of Marion. Yes. Yeah. And so, so, so in book seven is when uh, Marion recounts uh, what happens with the rape. But before uh, that happens, uh, Jessica, in your review, you actually isolated um, uh, the ending to book six. And also in my notes, not my notes, but in my book, right, I dog-eared uh, this passage oh. because it's so... It's so um, it, it's it's so beautiful, right? Oh so, yes. Yeah. So so maybe you want to read that since you uh, felt affection for it. Uh, the I, I can. Um, yeah, the end. Basically, the uh, end of book six. I'll do the very end. I won't do the whole thing because my my voice is probably crappy. But um, I'll just start with uh, maybe line um, twelve sixty. Okay. Yeah. And e and ease my breath a little when none looked. I did not need such safeguards. Brutal men stopped short, Miss Lee, in, in insult. When they had seen my face, I must have had an awful look. And so I lived. The weeks passed on. I lived. Twas living my old tramp life o'er again, but this time in a dream and hunted round by some prodigious, prodigious dream fear at my back, which ended yet my brain cleared presently. And there I sat one evening by the road, I, Marion Earle, myself alone, undone, facing a sunset low upon the flats, as it were, if it were the, the finish of all time, the great red stone upon my sculpture. How do you say that? Sepulcher, <laughs> I guess. Sepul okay, sepulcher. 
which angels were too weak to roll away. No, it's one of those things. I'm like, ah, I didn't rehearse. We, we, that we, we shouldn't so. be. We shouldn't be asked how to pronounce words. Definitely not me. Um, <laughs> but that. But that's fine. That's fine. It's perfectly fine. No, and it's. I think that's a, maybe you know this is a very poetic. It's a said. It's it's melodramatic, but it's high melodrama. It's sad, yeah. and it's very beautifully said. Yeah. And it's kind of her self awareness right here. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I, um, if I can say something, sorry, I didn't know if you were finished. No, no, it's, go it's, ahead. It's, it's, yeah, you, you shouldn't ask permission. You should just do what you want to do. Okay. Always in the show <laughs> and in life. Uh, fair enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, like we were saying how Marion self-actualizes and is one of the stronger characters. Um, like I was saying earlier about how the trope of the Redeemer keeps appearing, whether it's Romney, mm-hmm. who is, you know, thinks of himself as a Christ-like figure, but is actually sort of humbled out of that. Um, mm-hmm. Or if it's um, like Romney and Aurora's union together, which at the end sort of has this evangelistic, oh, we'll heal the world with our combined powers um, and redeem the world and make it anew. But also like with, with that last description of Marion, of, the, of the, the stone of the angels being too weak to roll away, it's a reference to, the, to, to Christ and how angels like rolled the stone from his tomb. Mm, and it, it's yeah. sort of like an anti-resurrection moment where she reaches her very lowest mm-hmm. point And she's pretty, like she says, I was murdered, I was dead. She she is still cast in that role somewhat as the you know as the redeemer who was slain. And she does kind of in the role like as long as we're talking about religion, she 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 is that sort of intercessor between Romney and Marion that ultimately you know makes them unify because of her rejection of Romney. And so mm-hmm. she takes on this Christ-like role of you know of purifying the relationship, but also going through this you know horrible trial. Where yeah. you know at the end she's you know she she is Christ uh, on the cross somewhat or in mm-hmm. his in in the tomb. Yeah, and yeah, I mean it, it is very beautifully written. I I underlined uh, these lines in in my text. Like just imagine her kind of like looking out into this like eternity, right? Yeah. I marry an earl, myself alone, undone, facing a sunset low upon the flats, as if it were the finish of all time. Yeah. Right. Finish not only like in terms of like, you know, ending, but finish also. You can imagine like, you know, the, this idea of like the sunset, right? The the veneer, the finish, mm-hmm. right? What we think yeah. of like, you know, paint or whatever. Right. You know, these like multiple meanings. Um, so I mean, like just 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 beautiful, uh, beautiful stuff. It's pretty good for a for a girl whose whose name is a silly pun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Marion Earl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So in the seventh book is when Mar- so uh, Aurora Lee is still suspicious, right? In book six, seventh book is when Marion actually tells the details of no, actually, what happened to me was uh, you know I was raped, and um, you know this is why I have why I have uh, uh, this uh, child, um, mm-hmm. and. So after so after hearing so the, the details of the rape is so Lady Waldemar um, basically like uh, sends uh, Marion off to I I forget exactly where she was sent off but she was like essentially sent off to uh, become a, a servant somewhere yeah and a personal uh, handmaiden yeah yeah and this uh, maid like sells her you know essentially into like sexual slavery yeah um, and a- upon hearing this Aurora Lee is very upset. And mm-hmm. she decides to write a letter to yeah. 
um, Lady Waldemar, like just basically, you know, telling her exactly what she feels. Cause yeah. you know, earlier on when she interacts with Lady Waldemar, it's clear that she doesn't like her, but they, you know, it's this kind of like play on, if you read like, you know, some like Victorian women's literature, it's this kind of, you know, like chick lit sort of like, you know, like this interplay of like, you know, witty dialogue, but to me, like a lot of like, like that, that stuff. Yeah, yeah, a lot of that stuff is you know, a lot of like the typical women's literature when it tries to do that isn't really as witty as it thinks it is. But there's a lot of that wittiness still going. Mm-hmm. It's like the Victorian strain earlier on. Yeah. But here she wants to drop the Victorian strain. She wants to be direct. And I'm going to do yeah. it through this letter. Right. Yeah. Um, well, and, and she thinks she at this point, she thinks that Lady is married to Romney. She she yeah. hasn't been in touch with Romney. So she's actually assuming that. Lady Waldemar has married him. Yeah, yeah. And exactly. so um, there's some of that underlining kind of like, you know, um, she's, you know, she's like, look, bitch, fuck it. You know, she doesn't <laughs> like her. She doesn't like yeah, her. It's, so it's I, really I love good. when she goes, and so I warn you, yeah. I'm Aurora Lee. Yeah. And then at one point, at one point, I believe Lady Waldemar says, I don't remember the term, but I wrote it it's somewhere where she she insults Mar- uh, the name Aurora Lee. She says it's something like um, uh, unsophisticated sounding. I can't remember the, what she, how, the term she used, but yeah, she has Sorry. to yeah. at- attack her name as well. Is that in the letter that she writes back in book nine? M- maybe. I, I, yeah. Might be earlier. I don't know. I, I, it's hard. Yeah. It's like, it starts to, it starts to uh, guys, guys, it's, guys, it's D day. We have to take this in steps, right? We're, well, at, there's the, not, we're at, we're at the letter that she's writing to Lady yeah, Walden. There's not, there's not a single exchange between them. That isn't like really spiteful. <laughs> yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Well, but um, but also like book seven is when uh, Vincent Carrington, like one of their like mutual, yes. uh, like painter friend, he's the first one to inform her to say that, Hey, you know, I read this manuscript <clears throat> of yours. It's actually good. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, his wife, I forget the name of his wife. Um, something. Yeah. Yeah. Like she, 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 she becomes like, she starts to idolize Aurora Lee because of this book. Right. Um, so we get like inklings of, you know, perhaps, uh, and, and you know, that, that's kind of like, a, it, it, again, again, it is interesting that we never, we never get to read this manuscript. Mm. And yet yeah. we have people like Vincent and later on Romney Lee telling her that this, this is actually a, a good book right and mm-hmm. you, you're left to yeah. wonder you know how much of this is in fact true is she becoming the artist that she actually has always wanted to be is this simply more kind of you know you know male posturing and not exactly like getting it like we, we don't we don't have mm-hmm. the answer to that question which is you know it's good right it's 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 a, it's yeah. a pretty good tactic to take. yeah he, he tells her meantime your book is eloquent as if you were not dumb and comic critics ordinarily deaf to such fine meanings. Now, I think the word, if I'm not mistaken, I think the word dumb Mute, actually yeah. had a diff- had a different meaning back then in Victorian England. Like Mute. it doesn't mean okay. Mute, yeah, is Mute. It- yeah, yeah, not Mute. talking. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're not like, just like, meaning like deaf and dumb. You know that phrase, deaf and dumb, meaning deaf and yeah. mute. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. I, I, I was a- I was mansplaining a little there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um. You know, I fear, he says, fear not, friend. We think you have written a good book and you a woman. You know, it's sort of like, again, I mean, he's complimentary, but it's a little half, you know, sure. um, yeah. half compliment there. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, the, the, that tension of the reader not truly knowing 
what exactly is the status like uh, like objectively like beyond like the you know the lenses of whatever people might be saying about this book um you know i i've always uh you know, enjoy that kind of attention, just like, you know, in, in Killing of a Chinese Book, at the very end, you don't know whether, you know, Cosmo Utelli is going to die or not. You don't know what's going to happen. Uh, that, that, that you know, mm -hmm. in-between state is always, uh, it always strikes me as very, very poetic, and it's a very good tactic yeah. that's used here. Kate Ward, Kate Ward. That's Kate Ward, right. yes, that's yeah, right. Kate, yeah. Found Kate it. I knew I'd find it. Because, um, um Oh, and then speaking of you, you mentioned uh, one of you. Uh, one of you mentioned about dissolving. Was it salt or something? I found. Yes. Where yeah. at the end of chapter seven or, bo oh, yeah, or yeah, book yeah. seven, she says, "Most like some passive broken lump of salt." Mm. There we go. Yeah. Dropped in by chance to a bowl of. In a, yeah, whatever that is. <laughs> whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah. Spoil the drink a little and lose itself, dissolving slowly, slowly until lost. I mean, that's a beautiful way of. Or phrasing it right there yeah and after and, and, all this praise yeah 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 it's it's, it's beautiful <laughs> especially because like okay she's getting you know it seems like she's getting exactly what she's wanted maybe she has ambivalent feelings about this book herself so she's not ready to just accept it and you know it's it's you know it's kind of like wearing you know th this uh, uh crown right but instead <laughs> of being triumphant it's it's something else entirely right um yeah. it's yeah. it's a it's a very unexpected way to and mm -hmm. you know this kind of what ought to be a triumph right um yeah and this is exactly how how poet like to like to the extent you know like obviously like poetry is like poetic yeah. in the sense that you know when, when you're when you have like prosaic sort of writing it's kind of um you know uh, uh you know the, a one-to-one -one relation you, you see what you get right but uh, you know what poetry often does like if, if you for example like read you know bruce ario right bruce yeah. doesn't necessarily use like the most poetic type of language he doesn't necessarily use very flowery language but structurally what you put next to one another lines that 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 go next to one another you know uh you know um it, it's 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 it, by those kinds of unexpected devices right same mm -hmm. thing here mm -hmm. right you have well, and it's yeah it's sort of like vonnegut does that too i mean vonnegut does not have flowery language but it's how he assembles everything that makes yeah. something yes. he's written incredibly poetic like slaughterhouse five very poetic novel but it's like People on a shallow level look to someone more like Marquez or people who are just, or Nabokov, people who are just outwardly, obviously florid. That's what they mm -hmm. think poetic is. And it's like, well, no, not really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And this is also a book where she talks about like truth in art and what great art is and the moral and the, the spiritual material dichotomy again. Um, yeah. Like I'll, I'll jump around like in, Line 744 to like 755. The book has some truth in it, I believe. And truth outlives pain as the soul does life. I know we talk our fadons to the end through all the dismal faces that we make, o'er wrinkled with dishonoring agony from any mortal drug. I have written truth, and I, a woman, feebly, partially, inaptly in presentation, Ron will add, because a woman. For the truth itself, that's neither man's nor woman's, but just God's. Men else has reason to be proud of truth. And then later on, in line, I'm going to be doing a lot of lines, sorry. In line, it's 70, okay. line 761, she says, truth so far in my book, the truth withdraw, which draws through all things upwards, that a twofold world must go to a perfect cosmos, natural things and spiritual, who separates those two in art, in morals, or the social drift, tears up the bond of nature and brings death. 
paints futile pictures, writes unreal verse, leads vulgar days, deals ignorantly with men, is wrong, in short, at all points. We divide this apple of life and cut it through the pips. The perfect round which fitted Venus's hand has perished as utterly as if we ate both halves. Without the spiritual, observe, the natural is impossible. No form, no motion. Without sensuous, spiritual is inappreciable. No beauty or power. And in mm. this twofold sphere, the twofold man, and still the artist is intensely a man, holds firmly by the natural to reach the spiritual beyond it. And then later, mm. in lines 854, she says, thus is art self-magnified in magnifying a truth which fully recognized would change the world and shift its mind. Oh, yeah. So I, I think Alex wanted to yeah. some of that. Yeah, like, yeah. So so yeah. I, I was going to ask you like earlier on when you were reading, that was kind of like the more spiritual side of art that she was discussing. Yeah. I wanted to ask like about, um, you know, what uh, all of us think about the kind of moral dimension, right? So uh, let me just read. Uh, it's going to be from 854 until 872. Yeah. Um, Thus is art self-magnified in magnifying a truth, which fully recognized, mm -hmm. which changed the world and shift its morals. If a man could feel not one day in the art's ecstasy, but every day, feast, fast, or working day, the spiritual significance burned through the hieroglyphic of material shows. Henceforward, he would paint the globe with wings and reverence fish and fowl, the bull, the tree, and even his very body as a man, which now he counts so vile that all the towns make off all of their daughters for its use on summer nights when God is sad in heaven to think what goes on in his recreant world, he made quite other. While that moon he made to shine there the, at the first love's covenant shines still, convictive as a marriage ring before adulterous eyes." Um, so like first, like, uh, uh to like, like the, the brief, like, like, uh, you know, pagan versus, uh, Christian stuff. Like, uh, yeah. mm -hmm. a lot of what she says here is much more reminiscent of what you would find in, you know, Roman and Greek writing, right. They're not, they're not there to sort of, you know, um, uh, attack the body or, or find something vile or, or disgusting within it. Right. This is what mm -hmm. Nietzsche would, Nietzsche would discuss. Yeah. Um, and, and she's also arguing for the same thing, right. You should not right um uh, view your own body uh, as vile but she she's yeah. she's discussing this like moral dimension right and you know there's a couple ways to view it right in the most kind of like superficial sense we have uh you know shelley right he he wrote a defense of poetry i remember reading that essay uh in uh when i was a teenager and thinking you know this is exactly what art shouldn't be right it's not mere morality in the way that he's trying to reduce mm -hmm. reduce it to uh mm -hmm. and uh today right we have like obviously you know artists that are so so caught up in their own politics that they think that they're somehow yeah. equivalent right um, or the artist makes a good person yes. yeah or the artist makes a good person yeah. right uh yeah. but you know uh, as i've grown older I, I start to think of this more in kind of like you know a nietzschean terms of of ethics not not uh like 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 can great art sort of improve the world and i think the answer is yes right there is a kind of betterment mm -hmm. you know you you could feel this like every single day in kind of like your more um you know everyday life like when i'm walking down the street i could listen to some kind of like you know funny podcast and sort of like diddle away by time 
or I could listen to an audiobook, right? And I, I feel differently when I make one choice versus the other. If I'm reading a book and I get through, I don't know, like, you know, like a great novel or whatever, I feel like I've sort of altered myself. Whereas, you know, making any other choice, mm -hmm. uh, you feel like, you know, maybe you didn't waste your time, but you didn't use your time as well as you can. So in yeah. that way, right, uh, there's this kind of ethical dimension. But I, yeah. I, I view, you know, to the extent that art has a relationship with ethics, I view it in terms of, uh, you know, the Nietzschean sense of a greater than, like, can yeah. you become better in some way? Can mm -hmm. you, like, is the sum of art greater than the sum of something else? I think the answer is yes, right? And is this better for people by, you know, all kinds of objective mm -hmm. metrics? The answer is yes. So mm -hmm. I, I don't know if someone else wants to like tackle yeah. well, this that, part. The idea though, that, <clears throat> that art, there's more to art than just being ornamental or just yes. being entertainment. Yeah. And yeah. you know, it's not just a form of escapism. I mean, one of the lines and I'm, I'm sending you this review next month was in uh, bright star, the film on John Keats was that the, one of the actors mentions, you know, the character says that when you see poets staring off into space, they're working. They're actually, it's not just a form of mm -hmm. escapism. Whereas like, you know, you see anyone else. I remember like when I was young and I would, I would have this habit, you know, 20 years plus years ago that people told me I stared off into space a lot. They, mm -hmm. they were like, oh, you're spaced out. Not realizing that I'm actually was thinking. And, yeah. and it's kind of unfortunate because like we creative types, I never had anyone tell me that like another artist never told me that I did it. It was always somebody with the quote unquote, yeah. you know, simple thoughts or whatever. And so I think then like going back to say, you know, like when I sit down to watch a film on like say Criterion channel, I'm not looking at this as like, okay, I'm just going to watch this film and waste fritter two hours away. And, you know, it's not like binge watching a Netflix show. Yeah. You come away from it and you're like, oh, I, I feel like I watched something interesting. Or if it's not even very good, you say, well, at least I've now educated myself and I know that this film is very good and I have an opinion on it. So there's mm -hmm. something always to take from it. And I and I think, you know, that that's sort of what what she's what she is recognizing there. Right. You know? yeah. And yeah. Anyway, um, you you have something. Yeah. Uh, like I've spoken with, like I've spoken with many, like from my tradition, many Christians who are interested in art, and maybe they're not artists, but you know they they enjoy and uh, have a passion for it, regardless. And when I talk to them about like what do you what do you feel like is great art, or what do you feel is um, worthwhile art, uh, a lot of them will say that it's it's art that points to God or is is it's, mm -hmm. it's it, it reflects God's glory or something in that language, mm -hmm. and and like you said earlier about um, art not being just mere entertainment, I think Aurora and I, I have problems with how there, there is a kind of I've said this before there is a kind of like evangelistic programmatic uh, urge in the book that I'm not sure about, but like she sees artists as I think she's I, I don't know the lines I don't know the passage but I remember the the word. She she describes artists as almost like demigods who need to yes, be yeah, almost like representative of the mean yes. low masses who can't articulate the the deeper things or the higher things. And mm -hmm. poets take on that role um, sort of like a Christ-like figure. I mean, she talks a lot about how they suffer and toil and they suffer yes. for them for, for, for this effort to to kind of plunge into the the, the essence, the the what lies beyond the veil, the illusion of, of the mere mm -hmm. appearances. Um, 
And I think in terms of just like artistic success and the art's ability to, she says, change the world and shift morals. Like I think Elizabeth Barrett Browning or Aurora would like to hear that, like for say, like when, um, like when Igmar Bergman made Scenes from a Marriage, like divorces in Sweden like went up, right? And it's just the mm -hmm. art's power to like shift culture in a way and change how people think about themselves. And, you know, I'm sure these people were like, oh, I'm not, you know, this, this movie made me realize how unhappy my marriage was. Maybe, I don't know. And mm -hmm. I think uh, Aurora or Elizabeth Barrett Browning would like that art's power to sort of, to have a person come to a deeper realization about themselves or the world. And, and for ethics, um, I don't know, I struggled with this. Like I, I've, I've heard, I think I've heard Dan say or other people like art has no, there's no ethical side to it or, um, or there's a danger in it, which is true. But I also feel like, like, like you want to put great out in the world because you know, in some sense, that it's good for people, even if, mm -hmm. or some, or someone who's open to it. Maybe it's yeah. just a thing in the world, like any other sort of cosmic material. But it's 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 still at least to other people, to someone who's open to it, can um, communicates to them in a refined way, the greatest art at least, something mm -hmm. that uh, it matters, is significant, has some kind of a deeper relevance to. Uh, someone's life journey i don't know i like in this book and mm -hmm. um like i think she says in a letter somewhere elizabeth barrett browning the, the point of the verse novel was aspiring to life like to put life in all its like comp complexity and messiness to cram it into this sort of like awkward mishmash of genre um mm -hmm. and, and she succeeds in that and and apart from my own doubts about whether or not art like in later on in like book nine rami remarks art's a service like it's it's a it's something you do for other people. It's one thing you do, and it's it can be all sorts of things. It can be just a distraction. It can be something you do for yourself. It could be a narcissistic thing. But um, but yeah, I resonate with that personally because I I do consider myself yeah. more of an idealistic person. But my more cynical side says, well, this this feels some somewhat restraining as well. But it's still, it's all beautifully phrased, and um, and mm -hmm. but you don't find any writers really saying that without a kind of like embarrassed. Uh, air nowadays I feel it's all about well you know I remember I have a friend or I, I'm aware I'm, I'm aware of some people who who like you know if you I remember I wrote something about um angels or something in one of my poems and um the remark was that you know why write about angels or, or the things of beauty when there's so much suffering in the world um yeah this is this is the way that art it would to be, be political yeah. that sort of thing i don't know yeah this yeah. is the way that it would be restricted right it's not like I, yeah. I actually agree like i i agree with the statement that art is a service but the where it gets restricted is when people start saying well therefore you know you can only in 20 uh, yeah. uh in, in 2021 the only books you could write are books about climate change or about the perils of the working class right that's right. when it gets restricted but in a broader sense like clearly great art is a service because okay yes. why am i annoyed with people that i know that admit that they're mediocre writers and critics and yet still continue to put trash out into the world because they're in it for one reason only, and that is self-absorption. They want their name out. Yeah. They want people to clap for them. Whereas if you're yeah. actually doing something of value, that is, a, if you're making great art, that is by definition a service. There's no right. way around that. But people, yeah. you know, pe people try to, uh, people try to put additional restrictions upon 
beyond that that are you know unnecessary, right? But yeah. you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's in its basic sense, I, I do agree that there is this kind of you know a service to it, and something earlier that that Jessica said about you know you know artists you know uh, sitting around and um, you know looking out into space. Uh, uh, I'm sure, you know, we, we all do this. And the reason why I never ask people about this, like if I see someone staring to space, I'm never like, Oh, what are you thinking about? Cause that, that's oh, the, oh, when you do this, when they do this. Oh, I hate when they go. Oh my God. It's, 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 I it's, it's so, and it, it's like, it, whether it's a, whether it's a, a hand or whether it's like a comment, yeah. it's so fucking intrusive because yes, like, sh- like, sh- shouldn't you have times in your life when you're doing exactly that? Um, yeah. when you're just kind of like, you know, sitting back, but, but of course also, you know, for men, it's also a little bit different because one thing that I have noticed, especially for me and, and, and like all men that I know, men also love to, they love alone time because they love to sit and brood and scheme. <laughs> we love to brood and fucking scheme. I love that. I, even, even if you don't really plan on doing anything with some of your plans, just to sit back and scheme. It's so <laughs> wonderful. Huh. Yeah. So yeah. it's so it's not just the creativity. There's also a lot sure. of like stuff that comes out. Yeah. yeah, but I never, like I said, I never had a fellow writer or artist ever criticize me for doing that because they do yeah. it too. Sure so enough. we're all we're all staring off in a space because we're thinking. Yeah. But oh, I hated that 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 hello. Yeah. It's like go away. You're you're yeah, yeah. it's very intrusive, it's very patronizing. Yeah. You make it like you're like you're spaced out, like you're an airhead. And this could be a whole other show about how sure. creative people really have a hard time in the world because of, you know, we live in the world of like, you know, functional stuff and you have to be practical minded. But if sure. you're off in your your daydreams like Aurora Lee, the world isn't very sympathetic towards it. Yeah. Lord Howe tells her to compromise. Lord Howe's yeah. like, oh, you need to compromise. Like you can't go chasing Apollo and the naiads and the dryads or whatever. Like you have yeah. to be like other women who sort of sacrifice those things for um, yeah. marital. And, and, and you know, it's like this whole book. Any I feel sort of like compromise. this whole this whole poem is is it can be on one hand like a manifesto of, of art. It can be a manifesto yes. of selfhood, and it, to yes. just limit it to to feminism is is just kind of making it simple simplifying it sure. simplifying it and and you know i said in my review that some ways it comes off uh, non-feminist you yeah. know she does end up with the guy i mean but it's like that shouldn't be the deciding factor it's like even if she had put forth ideas that didn't you know mesh with today's culture that doesn't diminish the quality it doesn't sure. diminish the craft yeah. and that's the thing that people need to examine and uh yeah uh, like I never had to read this in school. It was it was not required reading. And and it's it is a shame, but I do think that this is very readable when people know basically what they're getting into. If you have an idea of the story, you're you're going to be fine. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's really not as intimidating as you might think because I read it. Once There's nothing it, shameful about that either. I mean, look, I, I look up the plot before reading books like this. I'll look up the plot before reading like yeah. Shakespeare play. It's fine. Right. Who cares? Yeah. Constantly refer right. to the notes and all that. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. it gives you more, you can, you can dive deeper and you can yes. see more right. into it. So and it's, yeah. it's, it's, an, it's an epic. It's a really great epic. It's more of like an interior yeah. epic. I think I called some of my show notes. Like it's more of an epic of the mind. Cause like we were talking yeah. about earlier, if you think about it, a lot of the book is Aurora just doing what you guys were saying earlier, just sort of yep. sitting and writing and yep. thinking about her life. Yeah. But, and there is sort of continent spanning journeys and there's a kind of epic geographical scope. But with the mm-hmm. sheer range of what she goes through as a person and her 
you know, and, and just being open about her yeah. blind spots and her, her expansive views on art and life. I mean, it's longer than Paradise Lost. And, and it's, yeah. it's, it's about as complex, if not more so. Um, yeah. Well, so, I had made know. the argument and I don't know how you guys feel about it. Like I said, you know, you could argue that there, you know, I said, you know, this is a great work. It's not necessarily a perfect work. Like you sure. could argue that maybe there's some parts that are a little that go on a little long. Um, but I don't know really what what amount, how much that would be or, sure. or what what would require. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, could it could some parts have been like, trimmed a little you know, I mean, because sure. I feel I feel like so much of the book is very early on, and then we get book six, and then we find out about Marion and seven, and then the end is sort of like, da, 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 da. and we yeah. got Romney there, and it's like, okay, now I realize, like, by the ninth book, the ninth book is really just kind of, you know, saying, okay, now she realizes um, her love for him, and this side, sure. this side, or the other. In, 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 in book eight, uh, there's an interesting kind of like so like by book eight, Marion and Aurora are living, I believe, in Italy with the yes. with the child. They're yeah. taking care of it, um, and she, uh, Aurora has this like hallucination. Uh, it seems, and uh, like this is like shortly before like line sixty. Uh, Methinks I have plunged. I see it all so clear, and oh my heart, the sea king. Um, yeah. In my ears, the sound of waters. There he stood, my king. I felt him oh, rather. Right. I felt him rather than beheld him. Up I rose as if he were my king indeed, and then sat down in trouble at myself and struggling for my woman's empery. Tis pitiful, but women are so made. We'll die for you, perhaps. Tis probable, but we'll not spare you an inch of our full height. We'll have her hold just stature, five feet four, though laid out in our coffins, pitiful. You, Romney, Lady Waldemar is here, right? So she's, she, that was, that was like, you know, essentially addressing and thinking about Romney, which is, you know, which mm. is odd. Uh, we, we don't have yet uh, a marriage, right? We, we don't have any indication they're going to get married. And yet still there's this kind of like premonition. And, but even in this premonition, even if we have this kind of like stereotypical, like, oh, I'm a woman and this is going to be my king, you know, she does say that I'm not going to spare you the totality of who I am, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe I will treat you as a king, but I will demand a lot from you, right? Um, uh, you know, in terms of respect and so on and so forth. Um, so uh, book eight, uh, th they start talking to one another and it's like this like odd, uh, it's like this like comedy, uh, uh, it's like this comedy of manners, especially, right? A little bit similar to what's going on earlier in the book where she believes that he's marrying Lady Waldemar and he's speaking um, kind of like, you know, in circles, uh, she thinks that he's speaking in circles around her because he's not dealing with the most obvious thing, which is, hey, um, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, you're about to marry this like sick fucking woman. And, you know, we, we need to come to terms with this fact, right. When, you know, by, uh, by the end of it, he's like, no, I'm not marrying her. And in fact, this is uh, a letter that she wrote to you in book nine is when she reads uh, lady Waldemar's letter. Right. And after realizing that, okay, they're not going to get mm -hmm. married, this opens up 
right? Um, room and book nine is the shortest book. It's about 900 lines or so. It yeah. opens up uh, uh, some room and it, it seems like, you know, it's kind of interesting, right? Pretty much all the books are around 1200 lines. This is, you know, about uh, 25% shorter than the rest. Uh, uh, it, it makes sense that this would be the one that's a little bit shorter, right? You, you get to this, like you, 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 you get to this marriage and yet by making book nine, the shortest, the marriage is not really the point of the book. Whereas like, you know, if you read like something like, um, you know, uh, Emma mm. by Jane Austen, yes. uh, like, like Emma is a flawed character, like Aurora Lee, but the flaws of Emma do not rise further than she's a fucking gossip. Right. And she needs to learn to be like, not a gossip here, you know, Romney and Aurora have to change in very different ways. And yet, uh, in ways that would allow them to come together. Right. But the point ultimately is not the marriage. The point is the changes. So, you know, even just like the, the length, right. It, it makes sense. I don't know to what extent this was conscious on, on Browning's part, but, um, you know, it is an interesting little, uh, thing to think about. And, um, and their union itself isn't like, like it, and I, I think I cut out a bit too early on. That's uh, fine. That's okay. fine. Um, like, like you were saying, I, I, may, I may have missed something. So if I'm repeating anything, I apologize. But um, like their union, like I guess in those other books, like the them getting together would be like the whole, like you said, the whole point of it. Like, oh, they're married now. They can live a happy life. But there is um, like their union is building towards something greater than themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and again, in biblical language, it's like, you know, their, their, their union in itself, their combined powers will establish this. Mm -hmm. Again, like this changed world with the changed economy, changed uh, government, um, basically the, the image out of Revelations where the earth will be renewed by the coming of, of heaven or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. and, and also the very, uh, did we talk about his, his blindness yet or? Yeah, not, not yet. So, I mean, okay. so, uh, so uh, Aurora Lee reads uh, the, the letter from right. Lady Waldemar. Right. Waldemar it tries to explain herself. You, Zeke, you mentioned it in your uh, uh, article that, um, uh, you know, Waldemar is not given the full kind of evil, right? Yeah. The full caricature of, hey, she had this scheme to sell Marion into sexual slavery because she was jealous of her. She actually didn't know about that part, yeah. right? She wasn't, it seems like she did just want her to just, okay, go away here, take this job and whatever, leave me alone. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like what she uh, explains. But beyond that explanation, um, you know, more or less Waldemar is kind of like who we take her to be. Right. Um, yeah. and, and after yeah. that, that, that opens up. So after she reads this, she's like, okay, so we're, they're not getting married. Um, and, and, uh, Aurora essentially proposes to right, That's the other thing, right? Aurora is the one that's hmm. now the romantic aggressor, right? Yes. She's the one. No, no, you don't get it. I want to marry you now. And he's the one like, no, no, no. You know, this is like, you know, that's a good point. This is, yeah. this is bullshit, right? She becomes the romantic aggressor at the end. Um, yes. So uh, you wanted to mention the, the blindness seek. Like, what, what do you, what do you want to say? Yeah, about that? Uh, this might be a little too um, like English lit analysis, but I, I just found it interesting that, you know, in, in the very opening, you see the, the very opening stanza is, is uh, Aurora describing this this image of this male friend taking out the image of a of a friend that he has ceased to love and 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 looking at it and instrumentalizing it for his own self conception, you know, using his sight, looking at it mm -hmm. at the very end where Romney is basically humbled and you know his 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 his, his Christ like overture has failed because he, he turned um, Lee Hall into an almshouse and basically the public turned on him, burned the home down. And mm -hmm. like a, a fallen spar struck his head, and now he's blind. Mm -hmm. and at the very end, 
tied into what you said about Aurora being the romantic aggressor, now like he can't even see. So he can't even instrumentalize her sight, the sight of her mm-hmm. or his image of her for his own. Yeah. Design. It's it's Aurora now who basically is in the powerful position and and the very ending lines is her describing and, and beautiful, I think, beautiful like with with the uh, with the uh, biblical gems describing yeah. foundations which their union will lay for the future and he's blind and now he must rely on her um and you know and throughout the move or the movie throughout the uh the, the work like romney has sort of like i guess um know, <clears throat> impacted her and built her sense of who she is and now now i guess uh now he must rely on her to get through the world and, and he is the weak one uh, and i guess that fully yeah. sort of um, that kind of still ties him into the the Christ metaphor, but but yeah. Anyway, that, those are that, that's what my that's what I found interesting. About. Yeah, she does. She says, "If now you'd stoop so low to take my love." Yeah. Um, you know. Well, uh, so yeah, there's still there's still that. Um, yeah. Well, well one thing I wanted to ask uh, you guys about this. So this like Romney goes blind, right? Um, so uh, George Eliot, uh, she had, she had a positive review of. Um, Rorley after it came out, uh, but she did have a negative remark about the fact that she was like, "Oh, you know, and it's unfortunate that you know uh, Miss Browning uh, decides to do the kind of Victorian fashion of, um, uh, you know, kind of like giving you know one of her heroes, you know, some sort of like physical deformity. In this case, it's blindness. Right. Um, and like, like, so what do you guys like think about that? I, you know, I think there is like a little bit uh, something to the critique because. Yeah, I mean, in general, the way that blindness is used in in fiction, like historically, um, you know, it tends to be like a little obvious, right? So like, you know, uh, I think maybe the first kind of like a a famous example that I can think of at least is uh, in, you know, in Homer when, when Odysseus uh, fights the Cyclops, right? Uh, The Cyclops Mm -hmm. is is one eyed. And uh, the reason why he's one eyed, uh, it seems to be the implication that these cyclopes they live outside of society right they don't even like even like there's more than one cyclops right but uh they don't live together right they they don't live in like sort of like you know socialized colonies they're all apart from one another and the cyclops by having one eye uh, that shows that if you are, you know, a person that wishes to be, you know, so apart from society, not contribute, not, you know, not do anything worthwhile um, and, you know, be kind of like, you know, I guess like immature in, in terms of your socialization, you end up, you know, like, like this monstrosity, the Cyclops. Um, and uh, then you have like uh, uh, examples where like more recently you have inversions of this trope. So mm. I remember like reading a negative review of Woody Allen's Crimes and Misdemeanors. And one of the negative uh, comments was, oh, you know, isn't it just like so silly how uh, uh, like one of the uh, uh, eye doctors there, I forget if this, he's like a brother or a cousin to someone, but it's like the Martin Landau's character who who pays for the assassination, oh. uh, for, who pays for the assassination of uh, his mistress. Um, he has like, I think it's uh, his relative or something who he's also an eye doctor, but he's blind. And right. this like religious Jewish uh, eye doctor, he's telling Martin Landau or all these things like, you know, uh, like all this religious stuff, like, oh, well, Ben, it's yeah, ben, 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 is a yeah, rabbi. ben, 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 yeah, ben's ben, a ben rabbi, the rabbi. Yeah, yeah. And he's losing his eyesight and yeah. he has the insight. And Ben is, um, he is the brother to, um, 
Alan Alda. Alan, right? Alan Alda. Is it? And Is it? I don't yeah. know if it's yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember the relationships, but right. the point of oh, 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 yes, oh no, remember, remember the relationship because Woody Allen is married to his wife, who's yeah. bitchy, and that's her two brothers, Ben right. and okay, okay. Alan okay. Alda. Remember, right. he's jealous of Alan Alda, but he likes Ben. He goes, well, because yeah. Ben's no threat to you. Okay, yeah. that I had to think of it. Yeah. But 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 uh, so this reviewer uh, he had uh, something negative to say about the movie because to him it was like oh it's so obvious that Ben is going blind blind and yet oh look he's the one that sees you know all the things that are right but in fact it's the opposite Ben is going blind and superficially you think oh look Ben has yeah. all these like positive insights about you know human psychology and really how the world works but in fact he doesn't. More Landau, who, who, you know, who's like, oh, I feel so guilty. Eventually, he loses all that guilt, and his life is normal. Ben ultimately is wrong. That trope of blindness leading to wisdom is inverted. Mm -hmm. Here, you know, yeah. blindness does lead to wisdom, and I think George Eliot does have. She doesn't make her, her point is kind of like it's more superficial. It's like, oh, why did you do this thing where you marred, you know, a hero? To me, it's the specific kind of marring that feels like yeah. kind of like you know, it's kind, yeah, it's like a. You know, it's like a, it's it's a little bit trite, but sure. the, the the thing that saves it is it's handled well in terms of like j just writing itself. So you know, at the end of if the I book, recall, in in Jane Eyre is Jane Eyre Rochester? Does he go blind? Yeah, Roch yeah Rochester goes blind. That's so, also one of her critiques. Like you know, yeah, yeah that, that's like one of the things that she points out. Like oh, look, this happens like in Victorian literature all the time. Mm -hmm. But 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 here, like it, it's so well written, so it does. It seems like it doesn't matter all that much. So this is how the book ends. My Romney, lifting up my hand in his, as wheeled by seeing spirits toward the east, he turned instinctively where, faint and far, along the tingling desert of the sky, beyond the circle of the conscious hills, were laid in jasper stone as clear as glass the first foundations of that new near day, which should be builded out of heaven to God. He stood a moment with erected brows in silence, as a creature might who gazed stood calm and fed his blind, majestic eyes upon the thought of perfect noon. And when I saw his soul saw, Jasper first, I said, and second, Sapphire, third, Chalcedony, the rest in order, last, an amethyst. So I mean, mm. it's ha it's handled really beautifully. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, you have this like biblical uh, city; these are, like biblical jewels um, uh, being sort of you know erected, and he cannot see it. Right? It's kind of like Moses, you know. Uh, yeah. And and also you know like it's also like you know MLK quoting Moses: "I may not get there with you," right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And she's she's seeing for him, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. and it goes back to the whole idea that the overall the plot of the story it's nothing that's so um you know con convoluted or complex it's what goes on on the inside yeah. and so it's exactly. a very yeah. internal book and it's you know and it's like something can be great and not perfect and fall to some you know convention of this or that but um in the end you're just sort of like how is it done and she does it very well yeah. yeah, at the very least, it all it all fits, right? You know, because losing his sight, sight is like trapped in the world of appearances. When he loses his sight, he's finally able to like, yeah. get and you know get beyond and finally, you know, uh, assess mm -hmm. the world, the, the truer world, I guess you would say. And mm -hmm. it's and it's with you know the 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 work of the poet. Although I do wonder, I, I don't know if this is uh, 
slight divergence. But I, I did hear, um, I, I did see like some critiques of the of the of the work. Like at the very end, there's this sort of, um, or just throughout the book, there's this tension between, um, like I said before, Aurora being an artist and Aurora being a woman, and it tied into her being a woman is finding love. At least that's how it's set up in the book. And her and being and tied up into being an artist is that solitary life mm-hmm. where she's able to achieve her work. That's, you know, by all reports, like really good and inspires yeah. uh, Vincent Carrington mm-hmm. and, and Romney. And then and then there's the critique that says, well, it becomes very unlikely that Aurora is able to fulfill her art going forward because she has now subordinated art to love. And she, she makes that explicit, like, you know, art's mm-hmm. much, but love is more. Right. Oh, so, it, it was the quote. I, I have that all art in heaven, art in. So anyway, yeah, mm-hmm. see if I can right. find Something it. along those lines. And um, and so like she, oh. and, and some critics say she like it's not exactly like a full characterization because she has to like sacrifice being an artist so she can be a woman and find love. Mm-hmm. But she wants to be an artist. She can't fall in love. And, you know, that's not right. entirely realistic. Well, but. It, it, uh, here it is. Oh, art, my art thou much but love is more art yeah. symbolizes heaven but love is god and makes heaven now i use that quote actually in my um in my red shoes review because that's a film if you watch the red shoes about this woman who wants to you know work live for her art but then she can't be married she can't be married to uh because you know though as it, as it explains um she's powerless um when she has these red shoes on and so um yeah, it's it's basically that kind of same trope being being um, being reused there, yeah, but that right. the idea that art is the art is this, but love is so much more. And sure. and you know, I mean, again, idealism—it's a romantic notion. Yeah. She's she's a romantic, and that's how she feels about it. I mean that. Right. So yeah. I can believe she'd say that. Yeah. Uh, maybe I was a little too hard, uh, too harsh about the whole blindness thing. I mean, like, if you think about it, like, okay, to what extent is it being inverted? Um, well, first of all, like he can only see now, it's not that he innately suddenly has all this, like, you know, overflow sure. of wisdom it's with her assistance, right? She points out and says, these are the jewels. This is what's happening. But also to the extent that he does cultivate wisdom, right? He turns his face, uh, she says, instinctively, right? There's this, um, so, I mean, there, there is also even some like inversion uh, going on here that sure. uh, George Eliot uh, uh, probably didn't, didn't see um, yeah. as part of the review. I probably have uh, to rethink my connection with the opening standard, but anyway, go on. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I, I feel like I've, yeah. uh, we were going to maybe talk about some reviews, but honestly, I feel like um, we kind of covered it all. Yeah. If you guys have anything else to say or not. No, no Virginia Woolf takedown? Um, um, <laughs> I mean, we kind of, we kind of covered yeah. that. I mean, you right, know, right, right. I mean, we could, we could one day do a show just trashing that kind of stuff. Maybe we should do a Virginia Woolf show just trashing her. Because I feel like a lot of the stuff that we do is a great positive on Artifact, but Yes. Um, could do some trash talk as well. Sure. Uh, but then you got to read, then you got to read her stuff. And, yeah. Yeah. and it's just with her, it's like her, her dialogue in her character development. And she's so melodramatic and she's so, she uses a lot of like 
cliches and then but then everyone always praises her and yeah and i mean it's just like a headache yeah yeah so so i mean jessica mentions um uh virginia wolf and discusses that uh review right in her article on this book um and and one thing i'll say is like when when i was younger and i I first read uh ulysses right uh i was thinking um you know what like uh, this book uh, might be good, but it's probably not as good as people say. Let me let me find some negative re- reviews and see what the critiques are. And of course, yeah. like I came across like you know Virginia Woolf's famous statement on Ulysses, like something like uh, uh, Ulysses is like the book of a man who decides that you know his his house is feeling a bit stuffy, so he decides to break all the windows. And I was like, okay, that seems like an apt description of some of the excesses of Ulysses but then I read to the lighthouse and I was like what the fuck like this she's just doing she's doing exactly what uh James Joyce does except not as well right and she clearly like she was just jealous of what he did in his fame or whatever not even jealous of like the talent or whatever but just jealous like oh why can't I be talked about in the same tones as 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 this guy let me try to do something similar because you know it's it's uh you know uh, it's it's a worse book than Ulysses I'm not saying Ulysses is great but you know to the lighthouse is even Mm -hmm. worse and you know yeah yeah. you'll like the review I'm sending you the of the dead I'll mm. be sending you that one next month. Yeah, I I, I reread that story a, a few a few months ago. Well, <laughs> thank you guys. This was a, a yeah. truly a great show. This is one of the really fun, this yeah. is like the only show uh, of its type, you know, honorarily. Um, so this this is different, right? People are not having this. So thank you guys for watching. If you've been watching this on YouTube, please hit like and subscribe. If you would prefer to watch this uh, or rather listen to it on audio podcast. We are on Spotify. We are on Stitcher. We are on Apple Podcasts. Anywhere that you get your podcasts, um, this podcast is available. So whatever that you guys do, uh, we have you covered. Again, thank you for watching, and we'll see you next month. Oh my god.